Crash Chords Podcast. Of course, I'm Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. And welcome to the final album review of 2015. Echo. Oh, that's not how that works, is it? No. That's not how echoes actually work. You don't repeat yourself at the same volume. And also, because I gotta be a jerk, you said we're back with another Crash Chords Podcast. That means we have another series also named Crash Chords Podcast. That's redundant. We're back with another episode of the Crash Chords Podcast. Didn't say that. Now you did. Thank you. How many podcasts are we gonna do? That's we right. Got, we got we got one. You got two. And we're making and a third. third. Like how many more do we need? Well, I mean, unless we start writing articles, a lot more actually. Okay. Well, then it's up to you to start coming up with the other four, five, six, and possibly no, he, number he, seven. He, this he burned you. One it's time to day. shut up. Oh. <laughs> wow, Steve, on my side for once, that never happens. Well, you burned all of us. So That's actually. a fair point. Yeah. Um, as of this recording, of course, this is going to be our last um, album review of the year. You know what's to follow in the coming weeks. More on that later. Um, so yeah, uh, last week was interesting. First time me not being on the podcast. Yeah, well, only well, for part of it. Only for part of it. Technically. Well, because I've done a ton of follow-up interviews, several at least at this point, without you guys over the phone. That's so right. this is the first time you've done a topic without me. Yeah, I go, you go back uh, about an hour and a half into last week's episode, that being episode 172, Drones by Muse, you will find a promo for a to-be-released series by me and John. Early 2016. How early yet? I cannot say. Right, of course. Yes. As a side note, we actually had an audience when Steve and I was doing that little uh, uh, future bump content piece. That's right. Your your brother was there. And a good friend of ours, uh, well, a friend of my brother and myself, got Rob, who lived next to us for about uh, five plus years and been a friend of ours for a very long time. He was entertaining. Oh, they were very entertained by us talking. It yeah. was weird having he an was, audience. He was thoroughly stoked, and I'll leave it at that. Yes, he was um, very stoked. <laughs> I mean... I don't know. Like, I didn't mind having an audience when we did the live autographs with Joe Masterpiero at Barnes & Nobles. I thought it was interesting. Well, that was an intentional live audience. That's true. This yeah. was an accidental live this, audience. They were just like, hey, guys, can I sit here? <laughs> yeah, and it was it was a little bit different because they were hanging on every single one of our words. And it was like having the actual listeners right there next to us and getting all excited. And I was totally stoked. And I was getting freaked out at the same time. Ah, but I just remembered it was not the first time that we had a surprise audience. We actually did have a Katie of the Waystation under the table during episode 136's uh, Hesitant Alien by Gerard Way, featuring Robert James Brownbush. That's true. Yes, she was lurking underneath the table. Yes. Which was interesting. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, yeah, and uh, last thing I want to discuss just before we begin. Um, I did have an interesting experience this week. I got to see Handel's Messiah by the St. Thomas Choir of Men and Boys along with the Concert Royal, which was a pretty interesting experience. It was held at St. Thomas Church in the city. That's uh, about 53rd Street and Madison. Uh, it's an Anglican church, which is ideal because when you're talking about Handel, you got to look Anglican because the guy was actually born in Germany and spent the majority of his life in England, and was actually thought of almost sometimes as an English composer. The entire thing was was in English, which is not uh, very common. Normally, you're getting Latin masses and that sort of thing. So uh, it's an interesting experience. It, it premiered in 1742, and uh, it's an annual tradition apparently for the St. Thomas Choir. Yeah, they do this every single year, and it's a choir, orchestra, and four soloists. Uh, 
bass, an extremely good tenor, Isaiah Bell, which impressed me. And I wrote a, a uh, article for this on Classical Light. And uh, you had some pretty good seats, huh? Oh, I had amazing seats. I was probably in the, I would say the third pew, but technically second row. Which is like, all right, there's a first row, but the first pew, which is actually where the tenor and the baritone uh, sits down. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of reserved. No one really sits there. And then there's a row behind that, and we were in the row behind that. So since the soprano and the alto usually perform on the left side of the aisle, and we were right near the aisle on the right side, and the tenor and the baritone perform on the right side of the aisle, the tenor and the baritone were pretty much four feet, maybe five feet in front of my face when they sang. And let me tell you, they project you might say it was a spiritual experience. It's yes, spiritual awakening and all of that. And you get to follow along with the with the um the words and everything. It's it's a unique experience, and everyone should should do this. I think at some point in their life to go back to each and every time period and experience something the way it was it was meant to be heard. Because the deal with Concert Royal is they use period instruments. Every single instrument they use is of the time period. You look at the bassoon, and oh, it looks like it was carved right from a tree. Beautiful, beautiful instrument. It sounds like it was really awesome, actually. Um, you should put the link to the article you wrote in the, to quote, idea channel, the doobly-doo. The doobly-doo? Is that what he says? He says, yeah, when he refers to the show notes in the, um, in the uh, videos, he calls it the doobly-doo. Well, you might find it there. You might not. You yeah. may have to just remember classicallight.com and look up Steve Nagel. Shameless. Shameless pitch. Well, you're always shameless. Yes, I am always shameless. Thank you, Matt, for pointing that out. All right. Well, let's get into this week's album and work our way towards wrapping up the year. There's no audience today. Correct. Today, I... Okay, story on how I discovered this album. Um, To further expand upon how I explained it last week. I wanted surf rock. My brother got me hooked on a surf rock kick right before I was looking for this week's album. So I started Googling, and really, there was not a whole lot of surf rock this past year. But, like, when I brought on Marnie Stern, I wanted to do something that was rock but different. So I'm going through, going through, and after typing in surf rock and getting it to, like, the fourth or fifth page of Google, Here There Be Monsters, I found Surf. Just the album title. And I was like, okay, let's take a look at it. Maybe it is exactly what it sounds like. And it wasn't. But Surf is by Donnie Trumpet and the Social Experiment. Which, in and of itself, is one of the wordiest things I've ever had to utter. Really? Really? Can you say that after we did Fuck Off, Get Free, We Pour Light on Everything by the Silver Mountain Memorial Orchestra? Yeah, but you have to say that. I didn't have to say that too often. This is my That was your pick, wasn't it? That was my pick, yes. Yes. But this is... I don't know why I'm happy with that. (laughs) (laughs) This is the brainchild of Donnie Trumpet, a.k.a. Nico Siegel. And the Social Experiment, a self-described group of bohemian musicians, at least according to Wikipedia, uh, composing of Chance the Rapper, Peter Cottontail, Greg Landfair Jr., and Nate Fox. That's not the extent of it. This album seems to have a thousand and one different artists involved with it. Mm. Just the first track, Miracle, the writers are Amanda Bailey, Chancellor Bennett, a.k.a. Chance, Aaron Allen Kane, Jeff Glittleman, Lane Beckstrom, Macy Stewart, Nate Fox, Nicole Siegel, Peter Cottontail, The Step Kids, Styx, and Victoria Lee. That's the first track. And that's uh, not even listing the people. F- oh, no, there's no one featured on the first track. The no, second no, no, no. track is featured. second track has a bunch of people, including Busta Rhymes, B.O.B. In fact, over half the tracks on this album have featured artists. There seems to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 40 individuals that were involved with this, which is... Something of an experiment in and of itself. This is not something you normally see every day. 
When I, mean, I saw that, heard a little bit of this album, I had to bring it on. I mean, I would argue that it, it, typical in hip-hop music, at least, a lot of it, it does feature guest artists sometimes on every track. Um, right. Michael Kill's The Snuggle Is Real, who's an indie rapper who I've interviewed, he featured one to two or even three artists on every track on that album. Yes. Usually not guests on each and every track, as in right. plural, every single track. Right, this right. is like a party full of people. I mean, Yeah, 10 to 15 people, a lot of repeats, a lot of just the main band, but 10 to 15 people per track. I do remember there was a case with uh, TV on the radio where there was um, something they said in an interview where they liked having the ability as musicians to invite a lot of people over. That being a musician in general just gives you an excuse to invite over your friends and then work with them on projects and actually make money as a result, which can't be said for probably most professions in the world. So, yeah, uh, I think they're just having fun at this point. Well, it's, it, there's other ways to indicate that as well. I mean, they released the album for free back in May on iTunes. It's sort of like a sleeper release. Nobody kind of really knew it was coming, even mm. though there had been a couple of singles beforehand. It was sort of like, hey, here it is. And like this that. is the first record by this band, Donnie Trump, for, and as by the Yeah, as by the actual group of individuals all together. The Social Experiment was made for this. Uh, Donnie Trumpet had an EP previously released, and Chance the Rapper has had other works released. It kind of reminds me, actually, of when we did Take a Vacation by The Unveins, yeah, right? because that was Panic at the Disco, two members, kind of offshooting into another group and only releasing a record. Not to say that this group will only release one record, but it's just reminiscent of right. that. Right, and that was what I kind of theorized, that it would be similar. It's just, just a project. A project yeah. they had to do for fun. Uh, it actually made me think of uh, The Vigil by um, Chikoria and The Vigil. Vigil it was yeah. just the band. Obviously, Chikoria is a well-known individual, but he surrounded himself with other jazz musicians, and jazz musicians love to work together on random projects, and uh, sometimes they don't always keep in touch over the years. They have that one masterpiece, and they can go back to it whenever they need to, and if we seem to be throwing around a lot of references, it's probably because we're getting in the mood for that year in review, which is coming up. Um, but important to say, we don't actually know the future of Donnie Trumpet and The Social Experiment. This is their first record. They could release something two years from now and be, have regular releases. It's hard to say. We do know these members have had other successful solo projects, so it's possible it could go either way. At the time, we just don't know. Correct. But this is their first release, and um, unless you have anything else, John, we might as well get into the first track. No, let's let's dive right into the first track, Miracle. This is not featuring any other additional artists that are not in the band proper. Um, so This was a pretty artsy start to the album, if I may say. I mm -hmm. mean, I will say that the intro here at least succeeds in making you curious. Uh, considering we're in kind of R&B territory, but artsy-fartsy R&B territory, the vocals uh, in the very beginning, they're not really saying anything yet. It's just this alto register gospel harmonizing, just, just vocalizing. It's very serene. And then one layer after the other starts piling on. The strings enter with a very delicate but kind of dramatic tremolo. And overall here, we're just in A major. So it's very uplifting until this strange outlier enters, this, this blip or a, a gurgle, if you will. It, it, it's synthesized as if to sound like it's underwater. And that arrives on a lower F. But the thing is, we're still holding the A major chord. So what you get here is a briefly implied augmented chord where major thirds are all evenly spaced. It's a, it's a wonderful chord for an intro. Very open and also very open to interpretation. So you get this effective kind of a, a space opera. But still, even after this, it all comes back to A. That's the anchor. And even when the vocals start, you can... You can hear this whole intro is just built around A major. It wanes to the left and to the right of A major, using this expansive and, and reverb-heavy instrumentation just to barely trot away from home, and then it snaps back like a rubber band. Love it. 
the whole thing is just sonically molding itself around that home key. It doesn't really deviate too far, but it really just brightens itself up at points and submerges itself at others. I like right. the way these tones and these sort of pseudo strings are working in in the context of what they're building as their main through line with it. And then there's that point where it totally restarts. Oh yeah, this, see that's actually a case where I, I still interpret it more as a, a rhythmic example of the same thing. Because still, we're, we're all in the intro here, we haven't really moved into the content yet. But it was a pretty stark example of again, pulling away from A, and even from the whole free-flowing motion of the song, around uh, 44 seconds in, uh, when the background choir just sort of shouts, almost like a like a clash of, of ecstasy amidst this river of joy. Either that or maybe it's a cry for help. Who knows? We don't really know anything about theme yet early at this stage. But the blip actually returns in that moment to drop down to D. So we get this open fifth on the four chord without much of a, you know, minor implication or major implication at all. So this this full measure of silence just follows that. And you just are left to dwell on it. Like, what happened here? And then suddenly we're right back on cue. It's very, very interesting. And that's just for the intro. Yeah, it sort of is a presentation of the idea of curiosity. That's yeah. how I kind of viewed it. Because nothing really wants to commit. And I like that about it. Everything is still very tentative in these moments. It's it's very expressionistic in what it's doing. Yeah, and another thing to note, there's no percussion either in the very beginning. So I was kind of confused as how to how to count this whole section until much later, which is another reason you can kind of get lost in this whole river of joy, because the accents are in such strange positions uh, until a little bit later, uh, when you finally do get the percussion and you realize it is in 4-4, but it's a slow and lounging 4-4, still just using, like, bare minimum percussion, uh, cymbals, light taps. What I really like about the instrumentation also is that it moves through this kind of... When it moves through the smooth intro into kind of the meat of it, you kind of get senses of jazz, senses of R&B, even senses of hip-hop, especially once the percussion starts to come in. And from there we go to the lyrics. You know, once the vocals kick in too, it really does feel more like hip-hop, but it doesn't feel solely hip-hop. There are definitely multiple elements here kind of twining together. It's so slow in its 4-4 that even the speed of the hip-hop seems even further accelerated. Because when they start getting into the, the, the words, when Chance actually starts rapping, it's it's at a normal speed for hip-hop, or at least it's not particularly fast. It's not something that you can't really understand or follow along with, which some hip-hop goes into. But having the 4-4 seem like it's so drawn out, words feel much more condensed in that beat uh, progression. I think it was actually uh, still in 4-4 even after that, that, that rap moves in. I think it's still the same tempo, it's still the same, well it's definitely 4-4, but I think it's still the same slow lounging tempo. And the interesting thing here is in that pause, what you get here, you could almost at this point picture like the whole intro section is, is like a prologue. Like this is really the content here, the, uh, the rap. But what you get first is, is like a, a DJ cutoff where everything just, just stops and the only thing that lingers is these words, okay, 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 that little sound bite. And then, being a, a traditional DJ move, he sort of speeds up the record. And it takes a while to actually wind up the speed to reach the new chord, but when it hits, it hits in a very, very sexy way. This new chord is actually the D from before, but this time it's a full-blown D minor 7. But still, we resolve to A, even in this same, even this, this system. It's the same musical system. But we just take harsher turns this time. It's far more jazzy, more, more right angles, more block chords, making it sound like you're actually modulating every single time the chord hits. You get A major, and then 
G major 7, then back to A major, A major again, and then A augmented up to major 7, and then D minor 9th. This is quintessential 90s soul right here, but it's the high-end jazz side of 90s soul, and that's just perfect for the rap that, that goes in the background. And what's happening with the piano work as that steps in, and that becomes a major component of the music itself, I'm enjoying how everything just still is remaining in that spaced out area because it lets me focus on the vocals. It lets me focus on his speed and on the words themselves a lot more readily. I like rap when rap is the forefront, but a lot of times hip-hop and rap, they use the bridge, the refrain as their, you know, touchstone, and that becomes the focus of the song. Here, Chance takes the, the real forefront of, of everything that's going on. Sit with the beat, the chair isn't fair with you sitting right there. With your hair and knot, not a care in the world or a pot for the piss, which we share because a pair costs a lot. Not a pair in the world because the world wouldn't miss much as this. And if it isn't the same, then it's apples and lemonade. Can't stand for a minute made man with an iPod. If I got locked up, would you see me at the end of my sentence? White dot by pot with what I got, which I got from fuck. And he stops there. He that legitimately pause. has a little bit of, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a, a which blip I got in, from... in the flow. The, the, there's silence and he just goes fuck and he goes right back it into it it gives the impression that whether it was predetermined or not it gives the impression that he screwed up and then kept going whether they that actually happened during the studio session and they kept it or it was scripted I would either love, way I would love to know as a little behind the music notes for this track but, but, uh, but I, it does I believe add character to the to the, the the lyric yeah and you even get that from like the following line which I got from fuck and then it restarts. Still ain't did shit with the beat. The stare isn't there when your feet needed therapy, and their approval, a shoulder to lean on from when it gets shivering cold with the heat on. It, it, in a trance with the beat gone, he even continues that. It, it, I love this this style of rapping because it's another one of those uh, kind of a blurry face situation where he's sort of inward looking and he speaks about his art as he sings about it, as he raps about it. It's almost matter of fact and in the moment almost it's almost a freestyle whether it is or not it's hard to say but it feels like a freestyle because it's exactly. literally talking about the stuff around him what's going on what's in his head that kind of stuff yeah, yeah stream of consciousness uh, is yeah. very a, a very big proponent of any sort of lyric writing here because it's so commentary of what he's talking about still he did shit with the beat I mean like even he's like going ah oh, well we really, really haven't done anything with this yet even though the beat itself the rhythm itself is, it's a lot more interesting than other uh, yeah, cases. Yeah, it's, 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 it's probably easily, for me, the most interesting part of this track itself. I mean, to have something that really isn't a thumping beat, really isn't a heartbeat. It's, it's actually, it's a little bit aimless, and I say that in a positive sense because it has its own direction to it. It's not just the constancy. It's not like a, you know, a, a trance beat or something like that. It, it, it's, it jumps around, and it seems as if it doesn't really have this, this, this home field. And, and the lyrics don't stop over this. They just continue even into the next section, which feels more like a hook. Uh, he doesn't even really stop the whole entire phrase until we finally get to, well, the final lines. My lead is astray. Let's get an apartment with a dog and a song that I wrote you this morning. Ugh. And then finally, we, we really get the, the, the anthem here, where we actually modulate to G major, and from this point on, it's all or mostly a, a C major, G major jam until the end, with horns and, and the whole nine yards. It, it's actually really uplifting. I mean, it's strange, because there was a lot of... There's a lot of sad music accompanied, I think, with, with some of the other inward-looking artists that we have actually... Uh, looked at very recently, sure. considering both maybe uh, Beirut and Blurryface back to back, which is an interesting pair of weeks. But here, it, this is taking a much more positive look on the matter. Most of this album actually looks on the bright side and, and tries to groove along to it. And 
one of the coolest aspects of the whole thing is even though he's starting and stopping with the vocals, the music itself doesn't really have any starting points or end points. The flow of it just feel like it just waxes and wanes instead of beginning begins and ends throughout this section. Yeah, and we don't and really have any into... more bold sections, I don't think, from this point forward, do we? No, no, not particularly. It, it all just tends to flow, and that's something that's kind of hard to do when you're really introducing trumpets. Trumpets are very hard musically, so when you go into it, for it to just kind of be a natural extension without doing a slow fanfare buildup or something like that, really says a lot for the artistry that's being used here. It's it's the bridge. That's really the only section that kind of seems to recede back, where he says, Snow is melting, water's pouring, signal's turning, it's a miracle. Homie's breathing, family's eating, mama's singing, it's a miracle. It's, again, all really, really positive material. It's 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 where he wants to be, and he so he sings about it. I mean, what it's I strange like... that it took a while to get here throughout the song. That's what's curious to me. Well, yeah, but I think it, it just... Um, kind of highlights the evolution of the track. You know, getting to this moment, it doesn't feel completely divorced. It feels like it was born of the sadness that and the slow beat that came before. Well, that's what I love about debut albums. You have no preconceptions whatsoever. Yeah. It's an entirely new set of artists simply doing their thing. So whatever logic is created is their logic. And, and You can only assume that the influences of each individual member, in this case with this giant group, will kind of affect that. But beyond that, it's it hard to say. It enables you to give it the benefit of the doubt every step of the way. And sure. I was pretty entranced by this as a first track, I will say. Um, let's go to track two, Slip Slide, which does feature Busta Rhymes. So it features B.O.B., B.J. the Chicago Kid, Busta Rhymes, Janelle Monet, and uh, uh, A.D. Uh, Suleiman. Okay, so I got one out of five. <laughs> yes. That's crazy. So interesting thing about this song, um, briefly, if you listen to this album on Spotify, which we, of course, always link to, it doesn't mention in any of the featured performers in the track, whereas most of the time Spotify is pretty good about that. Mm-hmm. Probably because they couldn't squeeze in all of those names just in the title itself. Well, I mean, not... if it's just one name, then sure, Spotify is going to pay homage. That's not true, because I've seen plenty of songs that feature three or four people, and they still list them all. Actually, they never right. even listed them on the iTunes release, and that's where yeah. Spotify pulled most of its information from. So yeah. what's interesting about this is, so I'm listening to this you know, at my job, and as I'm listening to it, I'm expecting Donnie Trumpet and The Social Experiment or maybe more of Chance the Rapper. And then I hear Busta Rhymes, who I'm very familiar with. I'm a big fan of his, though he hasn't put out anything uh, in, in within the recent year or two, at least, um, uh, though I know he's working on something. And so I heard the voice and I was like, is that, Busta, that's Busta, is that Busta Rhymes? And then I looked up the album on Wikipedia, and lo and behold, it was. Um, so that was kind of interesting. The first thing I want to say off the bat is I love the intro to this track. The, the instrumentation is full of color, bright colors, and it's festive. It's like a drum line. I mean, it feels like a parade, which is what John had said. When kind we were of a listening. combination between a drum line, a parade, and a New Orleans funeral march. Right? It's there was just, a fanfare, though. That's yeah. what the trumpets were, were really doing a fanfare. Like. Which it I think was, falls under all the above. Yeah, there we go. But this uh, this parade intro totally smooths out as it goes into the rest of the song. Like, everything doesn't take an actual back seat, but they, they take a step back for when the hook comes in, for when the rapping comes in. It's, it's great that these elements don't get lost as we go along. The rhythm, though, and the bass do, do step up, and that, that is actually something which really, really reminded me of, considering we're at the very end of the year here, it reminded me of something we did very early in the year, uh, which was Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard, which kind of captured a very, very unique tone to the way they approached their, their, their rhythm section, their percussion, as well as their bass, and I felt like that was kind of captured here as well, which was... Uh, 
maybe hinted to me that we're starting to see a little bit of a next generation, perhaps, of, of hip-hop. What I also really like is the party atmosphere that this kind of track kind of promotes. Even in Buster Rhymes' intro, before he even raps and before we even hear the hook, because we get the hook pretty early, he just says, hey, oh, Mr. Chance the Rapper, I greatly appreciate the way you roll out the red carpet, allowing me to articulate myself, and now I stand on my own. Two below me, yeah. It's like he's <laughs> acknowledging this party atmosphere even in the intro to the song before he starts to rap. Well, I and, noticed that's I, another thing, and it's funny because you pause there. I stand on my own two below me, and that's always the implication, which I feel is is every step of the way here, I feel it's my own two feet. Yeah. You never actually say feet, even in the hook. Own two. I don't want to slip, 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 slide. I'm going to stand on my own two, stand on my own two. I don't want to slip, slip, slide. I'm going to stand on my own two, stand on my own two. Well, I say, feel okay. that has to be the implication. Wait, wait, wait. You're saying yeah. that hook wrong. It's I don't want to slip, 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 slide. And when they pull that, yes, slide, they have it's, fun an, it's an instant earworm. It really is. It's no, a I'm not. Great I don't mean to, to go into it. 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 I immediately was smiling as soon as that hook started playing because yeah. of how enjoyable it is. This really is a difficult track to even start to find fault with. I mean, you'd have to have no sense of rhythm. You'd have to have no sense of, of joy within you. And yeah, I've, I've said this oftentimes throughout the podcast that yes, of course, maybe this, the sad or inward-looking tracks tend to be more interesting because they actually tell stories. Well, there's not as much of a story going on here, although we do kind of get one in in the verse itself. But still, it's it's just it's so irresistible. You have to at least sometimes just pull back and say, all right, it's it's music. Sometimes it's not really made for peering into deeply, but rather for dancing. And this, you know, sets it up easily. And then when it gets into the actual verses, that thump of the percussion, that remains. It gets flushed out with some some solid piano work on top of it. And the rest of the stuff, this is where they, they everything just gets out of the way of the rapping again. This is where everything just takes a back steep, but remains. It starts doing... Uh, the, the the same in and out of the previous track where start things where things will start up a, a phrase and something else will take over the phrase halfway through and then it may end on a third piece but it's all about what the rapper's saying yeah, but also the horns here in this track are way more playful than the previous track. While they were very predominant in the previous track and they had their flares, here they're very fanfare, as John had said before, and they're kind of, it's like long live the horns. Like they're there and they're making accents and they're having fun. They're yeah, enjoying they're the, the party. focus here for sure. Yeah. And I just like the way this song kind of structures itself where we get bust, both Buster Rhymes and B.O.B. rapping. You know, it just it adds an interesting dynamic to the song. You know, it's a pretty smooth flow, and like John said, the the dancing is more in the chorus, where the verses are more about the rap itself. Well, it's like I said in the first track. There's an uplifting air to this album so far. It still persists here, and I think that's why it helps to actually have multiple points of view. Because I almost get the impression that this is like. Uh, a kind of interview session, or at least a, all right, step up to the camera, say, well, microphone in this case, and, and say your piece. Because a lot of it is about, you know, their their own personal stories and their own perspectives on life. Buster Rhymes begins, I'm a man understanding the plan, and I'm on. To be greater than anything, make you a fan in this song. How I stand out and wonder in what planet I'm gone. The one and only god of kings comes from a hundred grand on, a child I always ran from the wrong. So... It, it kind of lays on a little bit of a backstory that kind of led him to this positive perspective because it still says you got to stand on your own two feet. Yeah. You got to stand on your own two feet. It always comes back to that message that whatever troubles you may have had, whatever perspectives you may have had, B.O.B., for instance, has his own perspective. And his he goes into some 
Uh, little anecdotes, I was born on my own two feet. Oh, he actually says at that time, watching Bruce Lee before I grew teeth. And I had a pen and some loose leaf, pots and pans when the roof leaked. So obviously here is a little more about the question of how he became a rapper and the things he did to, you know, the things that inspired him along the way. Um, he even mentions things about high school, his GPA. So it's very personal in its way, but it doesn't get too weighted because how could it be with the uplifting air and the fanfare and everything? You're just along for the ride. And the hook does a lot to, like, culminate this. It really does become a, a chorus hook, a, a actual, like, call to arms. It gets stuck in your great, head, too. Great, yeah, but it's that great big hurrah during the parade. Mm-hmm. And that final hook has a pause. Once again, a, a great use of pause. And then everything gets muted. You hear background, children cheering, you hear an echo in the space, you hear water dripping, it becomes... It feels very ambient, it feels very kind of like you're almost in uh, in an empty space away from the party, but you can still hear it in the distance. Well, yeah, kind you're of in... like how I described the earlier section as a, as a prologue uh, in the mm-hmm. beginning of the first track. I feel like this is almost like an epilogue to sure. this track, because this continues, all, this continues all the way to the end. It's just a, a firm break. Kind of a flying lotus thing, I, I noticed, which is probably another name that's going to come up today because there is a slightly sporadic nature to to uh, to these artists, to Donnie Trumpet and the like. They they have a tendency to divide their tracks in a way where you could almost say that a section of a certain track could be its own track, it could be its own little interlude, it could be uh, an intro to the next or an outro to the previous. It doesn't really matter in the end. It's just how he chooses to divide it up. So that's why I call this kind of a flying lo- lotus situation because... It really has nothing to do with the earlier section. It's just a broken-hearted epilogue, like you said, with the ambient background, and then uh, a synth and a bass start entering in to fuel your way through the end. And the vocalist enters, and he's very, very teary-eyed here. It's actually pretty sad stuff, by contrast to the previous. It ain't so easy, it's not too hard. It ain't so easy, but it's not too hard to stand up, stand up. But it's just too easy to sit back down. And that's the first time, really, we've gotten in this this introspective track that, that it's hitting in that darker area, in that downer area. And it's kind of fitting that the parade that we were listening to earlier is a few blocks over. Let's we're now in an alleyway separate from so it. You're sulking, that's right. You just came home from the parade. This is the way everyone feels after parades. You just, like, you yeah, bared yeah, yourself yeah, yeah. to the uh-huh. world and you felt really, really good. And now you're just, okay, everybody turn off Fifth Avenue on miscellaneous street yes <laughs> it's 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 a downer and it's it's really beautiful to have this very uplifting track to have a bit of a downer on the end this is really more what i would expect from again an introspective track the bulk of the track doesn't hint that it is anything introspective unless you're really closely paying attention to the rap but I mean, even they make the, the 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 cadence of the rap feels fairly positive well because i think in the core of the song it's more about uplifting yourself and believing in yourself and positivity but then it shows Showing that with positivity can come negativity as well. But I think the chunk of the song when they're singing about themselves and kind of talking about what lifted them up, it's intended to be very positive. The face that you put on, essentially, for for the public, for your friends, for whatever you need to do, and then finally, hey, sometimes it's not really that easy to stand on your own two feet. Sometimes you have to work for it. That's exactly what the outro (laughs) says. So, from that we go on to something a little bit different. Track 3, Warm Enough. This one features J. Cole and uh, No Name Gypsy. And the hook that starts the song is No Name Gypsy. No Name Gypsy. So this is another one where you're kind of centered around a major key. Uh, so, you know, that hints at a fairly 
positive thing in general from a musical perspective, but here again we wax and wane. There's a progression within this though, and it goes a little bit deeper. It's actually built around F major 7, but that's what we go back to. But still, it really does drift. It gets pretty dark, and also we have more uh, setting-oriented things here. Lots of sound bites in the background. You have birds chirping. It's another... Starts with some chimes, too. Yeah. Um... But, but to get to the content here, the reason I, I see this as a little bit more eh, down the rabbit hole is because if you at least read the opening words here in the hook, who are you to tell me I'm not warm enough for summertime? Just that line alone. Yeah. And she continues, I know that I get beside myself, but you don't know me like the sun. You've never seen my horizon. Uh, Which is... That, that's... Uh, that's beautiful that's imagery. <laughs> I love that imagery. A, think about it. A sun can't see the horizon. It's, it's a great... It, it never does. That's it's, right. It is. It, it is. is the horizon, so it's uh, always sunny where it is. I mean, it's a, yeah, a little bit of a wordy kind of a metaphor a I'm going a on here, thing. but it's so beautiful well, the way it's presented. She went there. You didn't. Yeah. <laughs> well, and also, I mean, her delivery is beautiful. She's got this angelic kind of bright voice, and then from the hook, immediately goes into the first verse where she raps. And so not only can she sing and has this beautiful angelic voice, but she also has a very, very well-versed no pun intended. Um, well, I guess pun intended a little bit. Um, rap verse as well, which was also really great. Well, there's an interesting contrast there, too, because the singing, at least in the beginning, the singing over that hook is pretty fascinating. It's, it's as if uh, the vocals, this is before the rap now, That it's just almost between a siren uh, a siren song, or maybe that she's on some kind of drug, because there's a, like a, a very wany. It's an ethereal almost kind of feel to uh, it. It's, it's not even the word I would use to choose to describe it, because again, like I said, this has moved a little bit away from that major uplifting feel. Mm -hmm. I feel like, and the vocals are now kind of reflecting. Other things are starting to reflect the little darkness lingering in the background. Um, the vocals, I don't know. I can't even begin to describe the the, the style in which she sings, except that it's not. It, there's almost like at the tail end of phrases, it feels like it's not inherently musical, but it's more of just, again, a, a, a squeal, a, a shout, an utterance. Um, and, of course, when you're saying something like, who are you to tell me I'm not warm enough for summer, obviously you're, you're in a bit of a ruminative state. Uh, but let's go into the rap, since you brought it up. Obviously, that is still No Name Gypsy, and she says, If I was everything I never was, drugs got me bubbly, suddenly mumbling, simile, meant to be for you now. The futile go fishing for moon over rooftop, a new style for praying to everything I ever loved. My black boy outer space looking like a rain child, but my body move like the sun. Go run till I'm rainbow, we painted its fifty shades of gray. Stones across the lake, the house in the house, deceptive carnations, our wedding we announced on Sunday for the holy of it. Oh boy, it's <laughs> just... Um, he, this is an interesting writing style because this is another one of those cases where you're sort of being a little bit evasive just from the grammatical phrasing itself. Right, but it's still trying to paint a picture. Well, this picture gets painted beautifully with, our city is bleeding for cris, our city is bleeding for crimson. I don't protest. I just dance in my shadows. Hallow be thy empty. Ugh. <laughs> and that pause, another great use. I love the way they're using spacing in this album. Hallow be thy empty blank like nothing yeah like they insert emptiness after it yeah. no it's i love the way they're doing this this is a great use of space that's that's one of the most intriguing factors to it we it's something we're, we've already harped on a few times what i also like about this track is that we get uh, no name gypsy doing the first verse and then before we get the hook again it gets uh 
complemented by Chance the Rapper singing the second verse, giving a kind of she was singing the from one perspective, and so he's singing from another. They could be related. They might not be related. And I just think it's interesting that dichotomy where we get the uh, female vocalist versus the male vocalist. Yeah, I, I interpreted that as a more call and response kind yeah. of type deal. Well, she ends, I'm sunny, I'm sunny, just like you, no name. And he goes into, like the sun, like the sun, who are you to tell me I can't love you the way mothers love daughters, the way Mary was closest to Joseph and babies is close to the father. You don't know me and love got a secret handshake and mad inside jokes. I could tell it's knock-knock when my heart beatbots. Use our inside voice. Who are you to tell me I don't want you the way flesh wants freedom? And I love that line. It's a great line, yeah. Oh my, the way flesh wants freedom. The way greed, love, need. The way kings need kingdoms. You don't know what I know, what I'm capable of. What I slave for and traded in favors and gave up for you what I gave up for love. I love that perfect... Uh, Could it- could it could it be said at this point that there is a bit of a miscommunication going on between this uh, possibly couple? Quote? I, don't, I mean, it says I don't even know if it's about a couple. I think it might just be about two people who don't know the embodiment the, of two people in this situation. Yeah, it's just supposed to be two people in a situation. I think one person's coming from one perspective of love, and the other's coming from a very different one. And I think it's very interesting. Just, it's an interesting way to approach a emotional reaction because yeah. I've never quite heard it phrased that way before but I guess that is the root of a lot of miscommunication in the world which is why I do think it's not necessarily separate I think it might be that they're related in some stretch although you'd really really need to read into this in order to like pick apart this story but again back to the phrasing the phrasing always comes down to who are you to say that I don't feel this way which of course is a bit of a a faux pas. You wouldn't. Why? Why would you say that? Because right. you know, if that that's an inherent mistrust in the other person. Normally, if someone says something is wrong, well, then it is indeed wrong, and then it becomes a question about, well, it shouldn't be wrong with you. It, you go down dark alleys there, and I think that's the question this is exploring. I do want to bring up the hook again because when when um, No Name Gypsy sings the first line, "Who are you to tell me?" The way she hangs on the word "who." And the way she hits those notes is really kind of what invokes the strongest emotional response for me. Whereas the rapping is giving us narrative, the chorus, the, or the hook, as it is, uh, really kind of invokes that response that the song is trying to convey. And it's just like the way she's carrying that word that really kind of sums up why I think her voice is so beautiful and the way it's delivered. And then after that, after that hook comes back around, we get the third and final verse, which is J. Cole, the other... F- uh, featured rapper and this seems like it could be even even more different perspective in fact this is starting to look like maybe it's a love triangle or maybe it's i don't know a challenged family like it's hard to tell exactly what's happening here but there's definitely three different perspectives and they all relate at its core to a kind of love well, i'll read this one a little bit you like the flower that i won't let die right before your petals start to wilt I choose to give you one last try. Fill your vase up with water, refusing to neglect you like your father. So I promise that it won't run dry. Good intentions, because I want to see us both fly. But I often put me first, and I've been wondering why. I know you probably think you're blessed to have a wonderful guy. And that's the truth. But at the same time, a wonderful lie. Because to me, you're a dime, and I'm still a nickel. And you know niggas say that every coin got two sides. Well, if you knew both minds, not sure you'd like what you find. I made mistakes, I want to tell you, but I can't make up my mind. As I'm writing this, I see a red balloon in the sky, and to me, that's a sign telling me that these lines were meant to be written, repentant in the form of a rhyme. I know the Lord's a forgiver. Hope he'll forgive me in time. 
And I think that that really does uh, paint the question that, yeah, this is probably the third person. This is probably that person on the edge, especially considering, you know, I, I know you probably think you probably think you're blessed to have a wonderful guy. That's a truth, but at the same time, a wonderful lie. It's just a totally different perspective on the relationship. And it's interesting that there are three instead of, well, four or only two. And that's why it sort of sets the idea that this isn't any specific type of love. It's it's not romantic. It's not just familial. It's not just friendship or anything like that. It is just a personification of love in this song. It, it's just celebrating it. And that is an incredible idea to just present to, to everybody. I, I love this track. It's It's got my favorite words. It's got some of the more interesting... Uh, rhythm section of, of this album, even though some of these rhythm sections that come up are pretty wicked in their own right. In fact, the, the tones in the background, I, I can only liken to cotton bells. Like, like stuffed up with cotton bells, because it doesn't have the hard clip of everything that you'd expect from a nice brass bell, but it has that kind of ringing quality you expect from it. Yeah, and just to go back, you did say uh, celebrating love. The only thing is I think it's more celebrating the complications of love, and perhaps that things are far more complicated than we make them out to be. It's usually just not a, a matter of, well, you know, uh, this is what she said, and that's why uh, she's wrong. No, it's not that simple. It normally is a multitude of perspectives and, and, and life circumstances clashing, which in the end I think really leans uh, towards some connectivity with the earlier tracks since they chose to actually paint the, the, the past. That's what led to the reaction that you see here, to the issue that is going on right here. Um, so, yeah, that's a lot to lay on the line. I think within the first three tracks, let's uh, try track four. Nothing came to me, which is the first musical interlude. There is another one coming up. This I is would an use actual... the term interlude carefully because I don't know it's an interlude so much as just an instrumental track. I I kind of see it as an interlude piece only because it is a a full instrumental, mm-hmm. and it's the first time we're really getting a full instrumental. And B because it it is a very interesting concept in and of itself. It starts off with a nice echo trumpet style, a very noir style associated with it, very evocative of, of just dangerous situations, the kind of thing you expect from a Pulp Fiction kind of movie. I thought it was downright chilling. I mm-hmm. mean, th- this, yeah, because it's all horns, first of all, that's something that's going to kind of wrench you away from the overall mood that we've been in, although they can't really, uh, you, you can't really isolate any of these tracks as being particularly like one another. After all, track two was mostly horns, but it was more of a fanfare sense. This noir really could, can't sum this up any better. Uh, it's, it's, it's the effects that they use, it's just chilling and fantastic. Breath marks, squeals, at times I even feel like they're, they're summoning something, like a spell is being cast, but I just, I love the fact that only brass was chosen, um, and maybe a couple saxophones in there, but those are made of brass too. <laughs> but also, like, just the ambiance of the track too, this kind of spacing and the echoes that are put on some of the horns as well, really kind of give this kind of feel of vastness, whether it's an empty street or a large but city. But there's a constant. There is a constant, yeah. and that is actually just a, a couple of, of horns holding out uh, the G. There's just a G in the background that's held through maybe the bulk of this track, about half of this track, actually. Maybe there was an E as well. But the rest is all just wild and untamed, seemingly. It, it, it just, it, it's pitters and patters, and that's why I say it feels like something is being summoned, because, again, these, these squeals and these yelps, they, they almost set you on, on edge. Uh, I think even in the beginning, it almost sounded uh, 
like like one was was vocal it sounded like that first opening horn was actually like a human sound it was actually just just another horn but there is an inner logic to this track and that's what i love about it eventually strings do come in to sort of create a timing effect though not an actual rhythm to the track itself it adds a it gives it the ability to become a little more playful and brighter it does hit start hitting higher notes and rising scales that do promote Maybe the summoning isn't something dark and mysterious. It sort of loses that that kind of scary noir, and then it's it's it becomes glitzy. But it's still, that's about the halfway mark, exactly. It, it's still dirty. That dirty glitz makes it feel very uh, metropolitan. It feel makes it feel like uh, sort of the personification of walking the streets of a city. Yeah, there is something very, uh, I think introspective is the wrong word here because it's so vast and it fails to encompass more situations than just one. But metropolitan is a really good way to put it because this is, uh, there is something about just this style of brass and the style of playing in general, which after all, it was kind of invented in a metropolitan environment. It, it was, it's thoroughly uh, American, I think, uh, circa like 1940s noir films, you know, it pictures the dark alleys and then the lighting schemes, very harsh contrasts. This is what I get out of this this earlier section, but you are you are right that at that halfway point, specifically when you lose the G as a constant, when you finally lose that that undertone, that underbelly with that that constant with which everything is is pitched against, then all of a sudden things are a little bit a little bit warmer, um, and it seems to become more of a traditional four part harmony. There, it's it's more positive, it's more consonant, but I would stay still laced with drama. Yes, that's the, that's where that that dirtiness, that grittiness, still keeps its itself known, because with every city, there's always going to be the trash on the sidewalk, that kind of an idea. I mean, the horns themselves start becoming like uh, the background honking of a taxi. The, the strings themselves are almost like the squeal of a subway brakes. I mean, there's so much imagery going on with just the instruments that I, I'm, I'm entranced in, 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 in by this track. I, I love this, this piece. I haven't but felt still, this since, uh, since Charles Mingus's 1959 album, uh, Jazz Symphorium, or, or something to that effect. It was an amazing album, Golden Year of Jazz, and it was, again, a lot of city scenes sort of used by the music th itself. But that said, it doesn't have any of the stories. It's It really just feels like a transitional piece for me. That's why I want to call it an interlude. Because it it's not that full-formed, like, bearing of soul that we've gotten up till now. This, there, there isn't that. This is more like we're changing settings. Well, I'm, I'm very pro-instrumentals. And to be honest, I felt like there was almost more weight within this piece than maybe there was earlier to me. Only because... Uh, I'm not saying anything about the, the, the hip-hop style that they've chosen earlier. I know that it's it's fresh in some ways, but it also chooses to borrow here and there from, like, 90s R&B. And I just... I find that the there is more being said musically here, and, and that's what I guess impresses me deep down. I mean, you know, we could have read the raps for, for hours. We could have read every line. We still had to even just read lines to describe what the point is, you know? And that's... Right. that's that, that, that's something you don't even have to do here. It just it speaks for itself, and that's what I love about it. Let's go track five, Wanna Be Cool. This one features Big Sean, Jeremiah, and Kyle. Just a quick word first. This actually feels like the vocals created in the very beginning were made by that setting on everyone's keyboard, that, that fake, like, doo-doo-doo-doo-doo-doo. It's a, it's a vocalizer sound, uh, as if someone is scatting and just using, you know, vocalizing techniques, not really saying any words, just going doo-doo-doo-doo. And it actually fooled me because I actually thought that this was 
vocals at first. I'm, I'm really, really sure this is synthesized, but I just think it's, it's interesting. The last track fooled me into thinking that it was human, and now the synth is actually feigning human speech. Just thought that was an interesting note. Which also, that acapella kind of intro, if it's synthesized, still does go into a, a piano later on. There are is piano later on, so it could just be when the keyboard went from that do-do-do setting to the piano. And then the piano does a good job of transitioning to an R&B trumpet piano combination. Yeah, this song has a kind of, me and Steve kind of cited it as an early 90s dance song flair. We're getting something more upbeat again, more in the vein of Slip Slide earlier on the album. Um, uh, even though the verses do slow down a bit, it still has the horn fanfares we had heard before, and again, the choruses do feel very dancey. And they're almost making an effort not to sing in the intro, to, to not be rapping or being melodic in what they're saying. I don't want to be you, I just want to be me. I don't want to be cool, I just want to be me. You don't want to be cool, you just want to be me. I don't want to be cool. I don't want to be cool. I don't want to be cool. And this is <laughs> this is their tagline. This is their story. All right, the they're, vocals themselves don't really sound very musical. They're very yeah. they're very loose, and he's almost like smiling his way through it, kind of shrugging it off. I don't want to be you. I just want to be me. This is yeah. very very matter of fact that you don't really even getting get the singing lilt. You get the conversational lilt. But this is kind of emulating the idea of, at least in the choruses, and more or less throughout most of the song, this idea of being yourself is more important than being, quote-unquote, cool, finger quotes, heavy finger quotes. Which is kind of a, di- a separate point, I think a separate topic altogether. Kind sure. of bring the idea maybe that this is a cohesive theme, but that's a collection of themes, uh, which is, I guess, a traditional album. <laughs> and We've what been I, finding too many cohesive themes. What I do like, though, about this track is that the lyrics are delivered in a kind of very <coughs> cheeky way. You know, they're very much... Personal, but there's a a lilt of humor here, especially in the language used. And so I feel like this song isn't meant to be taken as seriously as previous tracks. It's supposed to be a dance song, and it's supposed to have kind of a more fun vibe. But it's still talking about, you know, the personification that's in rap today, that's in hip-hop today, and how nobody really is that sort of glitzy, glamour lifestyle that a lot of artists put forward. The first verse... Okay, I grew up without a chauffeur. Man, I'm talking straight out of dirt and sulfur. Only birds in my city is vultures. I mean, back before I could forward a faux fur, I was off in that depth, me and my mama. Hand-me-downs was the only time I got designer, man. Only class I'm passing is English and math. I don't know, maybe because they both got commas. Maybe because my older brother was on the honor roll, and the other one was always up in front of the honor. I mean, he's talking about coming from nowhere. He's talking about that, that, that... That, that starting point that everybody seems to really go through. Well, let's through. face it. This is a really, really common theme in hip-hop. Yes. I think, like, period. Yeah. Um, but some of the things that they go into with lines like, Baby got her jeans from Goodwill, but I bet that ass still look good still. I clever. like that. Not, I like nice the clever that's in it. I like this wordplay. I like this sort of... It. You don't have to be money to be important. That's well, what they're really throwing out here. It's it's a similar theme to what we experienced with Blurry Face with or uh, 21 the Pilots with half their songs. Right, cuz like with 21 Pilots they were singing about how they're emotional so they can't possibly be rappers. These are these are all songs that kind of go against the 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 stereotype of rap saying, you know, kind of either poking fun or just making very obvious statements about how there really isn't any rules to how you are a rapper other than you do rap. You and rap. I- I'm really enjoying the fact that this is becoming a major theme in rap, that Mm -hmm. they're actually fighting against the stereotypes 
in a lot of hip-hop these days with uh, just three of the albums we reviewed. This, Blurry Face, and The Heist, they're, all three of these albums thus far have been really fighting against the norms, and I, I'm enjoying this as I, themes. I appreciate Stereotypes that. Stereotypes the album by Black Violin also Another does the one, same yes. thing. That's yes. right. Yeah, I, I appreciate all these sentiments. They're really positive. They are uplifting. And the track kind of reflects that as well. It's it's really another sort of irresistibly fun track. Uh, still kind of takes a nod back to the 90s, I think, in terms of, of that R&B style. But this is, uh, I don't know, because it was so traditional, maybe this is why this wasn't grabbing me quite as much and why I was losing interest just a little bit musically on the album. It, it's... It's a fair point about what he, the point he wants to make about rap in general, but maybe he was feeling nostalgic and that's why he felt the music needed to be nostalgic. I don't know. Well, the verses themselves are undergoing more transformations than we got in previous tracks, especially when towards the latter half of that second verse we get triplets and stuff like that coming in. Things start really getting a little more frantic. There's just No, it's the, well done. It's just yeah. of the era. Uh, yeah. I guess I guess that might be it, but I'm thoroughly enjoying the era they're sticking with with this track. Fair enough, but it did it did lead me to um, uh, a point I made about this track, which Matt, uh, about the album, which Matt kind of elucidated earlier, in that there was kind of a schizophrenic feel here. That there we're kind of pivoting back and forth between um, the idea that they are either going to go wretchedly sad. Or they're just going to put up the front and then sing about positive and uplifting things, and that, that that's kind of the the core pivot point uh, for for this album, it seems, because following the last track, which put me in such a zone, yeah, I just I wouldn't have expected that they would follow it up with this, which is a fair assessment. But I feel like you know the schizophrenic kind of tone can also just lend to it being emotional record. Emotions tend to and kind of go all over. At the, the place. end of the day, maybe they just want it to be diverse. Sure. And talking about diversity, track six, windows, this, another kind of uh, step away from the previous track. This song features a return of uh, B.J. the Chicago Kid, and Rory is the name of the other vocalist. And so. This starts with more chimes in the intro. We've got some groovy horns. It feels very kind of soulful, which is kind of a departure from the previous track, which was kind of R&B also, but more kind of dance fun. This one seems to be more kind of slowed down and sincere. But it does seem to be more about the vocals here. Yes. Um, that is the backdrop, but the vocals really, really take the stage here. And again, kind of like the last track, he has a very loose style of singing, but this time more infused with emotion than the last track. Oh, um, I thoroughly love is, these vocals. It's not, it's, it's not as carefree, let's say, as, as the previous track. It's, it's not a party anymore. It's more of like a heartfelt letter to someone. He says, keep your head away from windows. Keep your arms inside the ride. Trust me with your body. Trust me with your life. Banging on the windows, baby, come inside. Certainly in trouble. Maybe you should hide. I'm going to tell you like, and then go into the chorus. Don't you look up to me. Don't trust a word I say. Don't you end up like me if you learn one thing today. It's just that. Careful. <laughs> that's, that's the final thing. Right. Careful. But what's interesting here is you reading it back to me gives it kind of a very different vibe. It feels really almost terrifying. It feels very kind of threatening. Whereas in, in, in okay, the so delivery. It's a scary letter then. <laughs> well, it's, in the song, it feels kind of very much like an R&B track. You know, kind of it has sensuality, but this feels but more threatening in the lyrics. The percussion, the horns are very backgroundy. They're very they're very muted in what they're presenting. Early it's, on, but as the song progresses, the tribal drumming becomes more to the forefront. You get to hear well, more you're getting of it. bass in that. Yeah. You're getting uh, some guitar work with a little bit of Spanish influence on top of it. Everything builds, 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 builds in this track, 
as they go along, but it's it's always the subtle flow that what they're going into next that I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying because they're not saying a lot here. They're emoting a lot here yeah. through the it, music and through the vocals. It, even those opening uh, opening lines in the verse, it, it's less of a song at this point. It's even less poetry. It's more of a mantra. He's just kind of a little bit deadened with it. Keep your head away from windows. Which Keep adds, your arms inside the ride. It, it's, that adds, it is creepy. <laughs> yeah, it adds to the creepy factor. It adds to this darkness. It makes the track seem really dark, even more so than I initially noticed. And as the, the tribal drumming kind of starts to stand out more, the percussion starts to pick up and kind of gain momentum. The percussion. The funny thing is I wouldn't have interpreted that from the music. The music is still very, yeah, all right, it has, it has motion. It's, it's no, maybe exactly. boils down to a slow jam when you finally get past that instrumental with the woodblocks. I, I, I definitely enjoyed that from a musical, musical perspective, and I never would have inferred creepy, I think, uh, no, without absolutely. really looking at the lyrics. Which I think lends to the character of this song, kind of conveying this, the idea that someone could be bad or evil or kind of have these terrible thoughts without actually knowing it and seeming fairly normal on the surface. And I think it's kind of showing a, an interesting, odd dichotomy and, you know, strange character to the song. Especially when it, it sort of falls apart and gets reimagined as a, as a, a different idea altogether. Like the track... Uh, two thirds of the way, I want to guess. Between. There was a distinct was, B section here, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was similar enough that I really felt the connection between the two, but it was different enough that I was enjoying the new it place. It slows down to. and it sort of starts to submerge itself. It, it's very strange. Um, even when it kicks up again, it still seems to maintain that, that mellow air. But it does, it does, you do get more out of this, it seems, in the later portion of the track the the drums really pick up they're very varied that's what i love about this it's it's almost like african traditional music at this point when you really look at the diversity of drums being used um and also the female harmonies in the background they actually get better in the later portion of the song it, it's they're kind of off-putting in the beginning because after all they are the ones saying the words careful careful especially later still just careful careful and you have all these little echoes don't you end up like me if you learn one thing today and then you have the the female choir careful and it's, it's off-putting because of the way in which they harmonize on that word. Maybe mm -hmm. just two of them. Just two of them, so I shouldn't be saying choirs. Two background singers singing careful. And, and the, the intervals they use, they, they shift in and out of, of consonants and dissonance very, very casually. Really well, enjoyable. It's hinting at the second-to-last line of the track, which is, don't be so careful. <laughs> it's, the word itself, careful, is... is a jaded word in this track. It's a jagged edge for for what's going on around it. Yeah, but then what does it say right after that? Don't trust the word I say. <laughs> exactly. It's the mixed messages which really do cement uh, Storm's idea of it being, like, creepy. Of yeah, it being, it like, a almost, dirty place. It feels almost predatory. It's weird. It's kind of hard to explain, you know? I like this weird spot. This is a really nice weird spot to be in. It's just, it's a song that makes you think, and I appreciate that, especially when on the surface it doesn't seem like it. And of course, yeah. we haven't really been saying anything yet. I, I, you really, I do think there are multiple interpretations of this track. I think it is more of the idea of, well, the, the duality of what we might, you know, tell someone in terms of the people we might look look up to right, and then sure. at the same time they may disappoint us people always have their little evils their their dark secrets absolutely um their dark paths and you only know them when they actually are well poked yeah. let's say 
All right, let's go to something else here. Track seven, Caretaker, which was interesting because it was a very short track. We're only talking a minute, 35 seconds here. And this was another throwback track, it, back to that 90s R&B soul. Yes, this track features D-R-A-M, and I say it that way because there are periods after every letter. I don't know what it stands for, but dram it is. Um, and so is the only featured artist on this track um, who sings the very first verse. The the whole song is just a verse, actually, now that I think about it. Mm. And it's got this feeling of an ooh-girl track. I say ooh-girl track is, you know, 90s R&B, think Boys to Men or All for One, those kind of bands. Um, I was turned on to the the phrase ooh-girl track by Schaefer the Dark Lord, who on his newest EP, Sex Rhymes, does a song called Pegged which is very much also an Ugo-girl track. It's appropriate for this track. This is very much a R&P piano-drum combination, but it's synthesized. It's not just uh, uh, the standard fare. This does have a a little more of a technological hitch on it, and I like a kind of slant. Also, being so slow, so simple, being sort of a culminating love song, a sad love song, it's great that it's distilled into the single idea and it being a minute and a half long. Because a three and a half, four minute version of this would have a couple of bridges that I don't know would work or would not. I don't know where it would go for. But being so succinct, I'll enjoy this track. And thematically, I think it was a very clever pair to the previous, considering yeah. we were sort of tossed back and forth as to what to think about this this man saying, don't trust a word I say, and it does seem as if he is, well, the caretaker, interestingly, and now we get the track caretaker, and the lyrics go, I'll take care of you, even if you got a man now, because I've been fucking fans now. Still, I'll take care of you, even if you got a man now. I would have to understand now, because I have been bad. Oh, but you know I still got you, baby. I've been bad. I had to do what I had to do. But you know I still love you. Sorry. Still, I'll take care of you. Hey, yeah. Even if you got a man now, I'll be forced to understand now. And it still is almost just as cagey as the previous track, just in the way it says, don't trust a word I say, because the message is here, almost line by line, it's a different message. It's a different, it's a different phrase it's it comes back to the same thing yes i'll take care of you no matter what but the love is gone clearly i mean i yeah. i don't care how much it's he says not, it's you not know the good i kind still of love. love you there's love there there's love there but it's all right, not yeah, the good kind of love it's a, yeah no it's it's a it's a the, the the poor thing to look up to exactly what he told us in the previous track i'm i'm not the one to look yeah, up to yeah he shouldn't be trusted yeah, yeah. it's 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 very interesting. They do seem like a good pair together, which kind of gives a very strong character to the two songs together and links them very very strongly. And, I mean, we've had other songs that touch on this stuff previously, too. I mean, we're talking about the lo- possible love triangle in previous tracks and, and all of that stuff. So I think that they're, it's interesting that they especially interconnected these tr- two tracks specifically. And it connects earlier things as well. Yeah. Because, again... Uh, Speaking of the concept of love, it almost goes back to the the, the questions that we had much earlier in the album. The questions of, of, well, Well, who are you to say? Who are you to say what I feel? So really, even then, right there, I pulled the faux pas. Okay, clearly, there he did even say in this line. He said he said in 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 the song, well, I do still love you, right? But everything everything clearly points against it. All of the all of the the events here, if you're following this this story really points that you know this is pretty much broken but yet it, it's hinted that well things aren't are often more than what they appear it's easy to judge um and i think that's what the the album is trying to teach us not to do 
From here we go to Just Wait. Which is track eight and not featuring anyone. This is just um, Donnie Trumpet and The Social Experiment. Which Um, is enough people to begin with. We get a very interesting instrumental to start the track. This intro... I called it techno funk on a on a lark, but it's it's really you know it's it's kind of this electrified funk. There's a lot of synth sounds, but it also has it's, that kind of funk groove. It's synth scat, a synth scat that kind of focuses on the uh, the horns that have been pervasive in this album, and the the furious edges that they can do because the horns are seem very clipped, very short in the very beginning, and eventually start getting a little bit longer in their phrases. But you, they still feel like they're just like off the cuff just like blaring something and that's something that if he can do this live donnie is doing something amazing with his speed yeah and uh, i mean here's the thing that i I, it almost sounds once again as if it were synthesized because Mm -hmm. it is just so fast and so and so perfect in many ways Uh, who's to say whether this was actually edited or maybe there is a, a, a synthetic element to it but uh, on the face of it, if it's real, it's really, yeah, it is, it's pure raw talent. And uh, frankly, I think he's just having way too much fun with it. It's, it's, it's just, it's so elaborate that the only way, I, the only thing I can go back to is a kind of acid techno, not unlike what we got back in Flying Lotus. It does feel kind of trippy. Even when the lyrics come in, like, this song on the whole feels kind of out there and abstract, which is really interesting. Well, I mean, the- even when the song is going on, when we're getting the instrumentation, you hear in the background, play that motherfucking horn, some guy yells. You know, which, <laughs> which I'm guessing is, is Chance. Um, it's, yeah, it's one of those moments. But it's just, it's it's interesting. And there are other things shouted in the background, too, that kind of get drowned, drowned out by the instrumentation. It's just an interesting aesthetic here. And the verses themselves are also that, that scatterbrain idea. I don't know what to think with this. <laughs> spend the night, spend the money, send off flight for the tummy. Bit of a pickle, she tuck her tommy. Rug red, bearskin, fairskin, since pan-Afro-American. Actor in air, airs thin, new floor. Everything, everything, oh lord, everything. I mean, what this sounds to me is either the mumblings of a person in bliss, thinking orgasm or some kind of sexual experience, or it's just literally spitballing the first thing that comes to his mind. But the hook and the outro a little bit later on, but the hook, what a delicate heart with a hard head, what a delicate heart with a hard head. Good things come to those that wait. Good things come to those that wait. This is a nice, bright section. Uh, It's got some quivers, and it falls into some of the drones that we got earlier, some of the the larger phrase work of of the instruments earlier, a lot mm-hmm. of those Cotney bells coming back. Yeah. At least I in, in the ideas themselves. But what this goes into feels like everything went subterranean, except for the trumpets. Everything kind of drops out and gets severely muted. And only the trumpet really feels like it's above ground, that it's actually in the same room as... as the singer as the vocalist. I would agree with that. Frankly, it's it's one of the, the things that leaps out when I when I try to remember the track. That's really what I can hear in my head. Um, the only reason I, I said acid techno before is because, yes, beneath that, the, the rhythm is really all over the place. Um, but the trumpet is the binding factor. So uh, it's, I, it's, a, it's a jam as far as I'm concerned, and I just took it as that. And it's an enjoyable jam. All right, let's go to track nine, Familiar. Which is the, anything but. And this features King Louis and Quavo of... Mingus. <laughs> I have no All idea right. who these people are, but I want to give them their due. Again, if we leave somebody out, just go to Wikipedia. We are not perfect. Yes. Um, this one, 
is very interesting to me because from the moment it starts, it feels musically very theatrical, very Broadway. You know, the, the, the piano, the way it's working kind of here is jaunty, hitting accent notes, very colorful. And it just, it feels, you know, like I've talked about Hamilton before on this podcast and how that feels very hip-hop and very Broadway. This specifically just feels very Broadway. Think yeah. Rent, think modern theater. But it does go into rap versus after that, and it's. Just but you wouldn't expect that it would from the beginning. You're Correct. right. Correct. But thematically, it works perfectly for the message. This is about, I believe it's quoted somewhere in here. Fake bitches, <laughs> cardboard cutout, sharp teeth, smart mouth, smile big, small waist, big hips, cut paste. Forgive me, but you look familiar. Prom queen, mean chick, teen mom, bad bitch. Real bad advice can't fool me twice. Forgive me, but you look familiar. You're regular. This is a very, I mean, there's not really much deciphering to be done here as far as this theme is concerned. Yeah, it, it's, the, it's the fake look. It's, it's what you see all the time, you know, women who, they read magazines and they say, oh, well, that, that must be what's beautiful to people, you know, as opposed to going for their own sensibilities. And, right. you know, they could probably do without all the magazines. And what you end up is, with is a bunch of carbon copies. Uh, yeah, I think this is something have... that's been t- touched on in music before. I mean, we talked yeah. about this when we covered Beyonce's uh, self-titled album. Yes, uh, the visual album, as it, it's been known to be called. But she has a song on there that also talks very much about modern beauty aesthetic and how people mm-hmm. are viewed. And I think that you know, I'm unsurprised that it came up on this record, considering we were talking about love and passion and feelings for for people have for each other. It was bound to come to this eventually, I think. But now here's the thing. From the musical perspective, this it was it was constructed, yes, very much like a Broadway track. and and because of that, it, I don't mean a, a a dynamic Broadway track. In other words, it 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 has the groove, which includes the piano, yes. it has a a, a deep piano bass line that sort of, rides everything forward and then it, that's sort of staggered you also have some, some bongos little flutes and 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 guitars and and trumpets a lot of call and response action every single thing seems to have another thing that relates to it and that's that's the phrase structure there uh it, it's it's actually fascinating from a soundbite perspective but the funny thing is that in in the foundation, just the core foundation of this track is fairly unchanging. You don't really have much of a chord progression. It's all pretty much built around just one chord uh, and that one bass line. The piano doesn't really go anywhere with this. It's 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 busy if you look at the sound bites. Um, and I don't mean to just boil down like the flutes and the trumpets to sound bites. That that's how they function, though. They don't really have like like developmental material, and they don't really like work with. Uh, the melody, because there really, really isn't much of a melody. There's the rap, and and that's basically it. So it was an, it's another curiosity, I think, for the album, and I took it as that because at least you can look at it as a kind of soundbite art while you're dwelling on this theme that is already fairly obvious. The rhythm is all that's really there at the end of the day with the music, and I that means Steve were discussing this beforehand, but I love it for its rhythm, for the fact that everything is just stepping in, stepping out, and harmonizing with both what came before and what's going to come but after. But even the rhythm is pretty steady. When you really think about the it, rhythm the rhythm is, is steady, actually but it's only... it's texture. I'm loving the way they're effing with the texture. And that's why I think you interpret it as as the rhythm is really interesting because of the way they choose to say, oh, there's going to be a flute now. Oh, there's going to be a trumpet now. And well, I you really see like those that. as rhythmic elements. I know this is where we're kind of falling apart on our agreement on this track. I love the fact that they're able to just really interpret different ideas into the structure it's like rhythmic cells and and yeah i'm, I'm pulling back a little bit i do think there was a, a, a much more art 
than in that than I'm giving it credit for. I just was uh, set up to believe the track would have introduced another section or something. Whereas for me, I guess because you know, and I have a limited uh, background in Broadway and theater. I mean, I I can't even hold a candle to my wife who knows way more. But I've gotten an education through her, and from what I can sense here. That is all intentional, mostly, I think, because they wanted it to have that theatrical feel, and having that kind of basic, you know, through line allowed you to focus on the lyrics, which in theater and in Broadway, especially if you're going to a musical, you want to focus on the lyrics because that's where you're going to get the story from. You get it from what's happening on stage as well, but the lyrics tell the story, and I think that's what this was designed to have happen here, was for it to tell the story. Yeah, these these bitches regular and they smoke regular. If these bitches bad, then bad bitches regular. <laughs> I mean, I, I maybe even that's just their idea of saying like, hey, there's a guy walking down the street and he's just noticing a bunch of people that look like carbon copies of one another. Right. So this is their way of that's that's how the texture is being used. And after all, why should the foundation be any uh, more diverse? Why should it change up if after all? He is literally talking about the subject of sameness. Yeah, I mean, it does seem to make sense for the structure. Okay, let's go to track 10. Say it, John. Something that I want. So this is <laughs> something that I want without any of the vowels. And this song, of course, well, is Well, there featured. is one vowel, I, but it's, it's well, a word true. unto itself. Because it was yes. a word unto itself. Um, and this is featuring Saba. Um, and this one is another short song. Um, it's on the shorter side. It's about 151. And... Uh, the, the, the instrumentation here kind of takes this weird kind of warping well, sensation. Well, I believe it began with a vibraphone. Uh, it did. And also some vocalizing effects and some diminished chords here, which uh, sets us off in a interesting start. Um, sort of stutters and whines in the lyrics that have actually taken out the vowels, of course, just like the opening words. Something that I want. Something that I want. So it's a slurred. It's all just mushed together. And of course, the line is something that I want. But without vowels, it, it, it's just a mishmash. It's a it's a slur. It's a distorted. Uh, it's it's a MIDI file that got corrupted when he transferred it over into your computer. But it has like art in that that texture screw up. I think anyone who's who's been following themes with us for long enough, or or has a, a semblance of English major in them, will probably know exactly where this is what this is getting at. But let's just read the verse to lay it on thicker. I just totally want Utopia to surround my conscious so I can give a fuck about the fabrics that I found in my closet. What's so bounded by sound is that her word never left me, while the departed all counted sheep, I'm busy counting my blessing. Unk has been on house arrest since his release, just found him dead in his sleep. Damn. Wait, this open your soul and your soul intent, it's totally legit. I go throw a fit I owed unto him, he wrote it from the pen. You called on weekends, I pour out to sip if I drank. I know the Lord give and the Lord take. But he got me choosing between church and music, like maze. Pray, that's what Grandma said. I bow my head. You still alive? You are not dead. I'm your pallbearer. And that's the blood that I wrote this with. This is very personal stuff. This is really dark, but also... I, I want to acknowledge the very specific 90s reference to Maze, the rapper, who supposedly left rap because he found God. So it's just... It's an interesting wordplay here. Even when this kind of is going to a dark and very personal place, it's using some interesting wordplay. Even in this d d 
disjointed instrumentation. It uses the latter half of that verse to, I think, again, explain the, the backstory and how he led to this conclusion and his current desires, which he really lays on the first two lines there. This is, of I course, totally, wrapping this. Right, but which he lays on those first two lines, I just totally want Utopia to surround my conscious so I can give a fuck about the fabrics I found in my closet. Yeah. The idea that, of course, something that I want, something that I want. There's yeah, something, but, but, something, but you cannot put your finger on it, because mm -hmm. really, what can give you utopia in the end, especially yeah. if you're coming with these dark and inner demons, something that you want is really just something to make life, life, not even like a little better, but just something, something to strive for, because you're coming from such a dark place anyway. And also this idea of wants, and that clothes in your closet are just things that aren't in essence, unimportant. You don't need clothes to live, technically. Well, in retrospect to how how this track goes about a death in the family, I, he wants happiness to be in his mind so he can actually care about what I assume to be the suit he's wearing to a funeral. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, yeah, yeah. like he's got it. He's it's it's That's he's just asked, he's just asked, he's just messed up. It's, this is just I'm messed up and I need to be someplace better. And then once we get out of the verse and back into the hook again, it's that same distorted vocals, you know, the, the, the instrumentation and the actual words themselves are being distorted by the way this is mixed. It's a very interesting style to kind of put the framework of this song in. And the funny thing is that much later here, in, in, in when he does get toward the latter half of that verse, it, it's considerably more forceful and angry than yeah. his tone in the beginning of the verse, when he's just saying, I just totally want Utopia to surround my conscience. He, he really is hopeful here, and he has a very br beautiful tone, this, this nice tenor range here. But then toward the end, as he's saying, I, I go throw a fit, I, I owed unto him, he wrote from the pen, and you know, it's just so much more uh, it, it's There's a lot more dark music, yeah. yeah. And it's it, it's a lot more visceral than it's made out to be. Yeah, and it's it's that numb place. It's a good representation of that numb place you get to when loss gets to be too much. And then musically, this also reminded me again of, of Flying Lotus here. A lot of that that type of uh, drum work again, the acid thing, and then also at the very end, the smooth jazz keyboard, which, well, I want no shortage of. <laughs> <laughs> Track eleven. Go. This one features Jesse Boykin III, Mike Golden, and Joey Perp. Um, and Lily Kay. And Lily I feel Kay. like there's been a new name every time. Yeah. It's, it's, there's just so much talent on this record. It's very interesting, the, collab the, the vastness of this collaboration. Um, Go starts, I kind of defined it as a funky space voyage. It's just, it reminds me of take some really kind of good modern funk and mix it with like the... Um, I'm blanking on his name, but the creator of the original Star Trek series. Uh, Gene Roddenberry. Gene Roddenberry, because he also wrote the song. You know, that kind of feel to the original Star Trek theme. I didn't uh, interpret that as much. I will say, though, that there was something very hypnotic about this track, at least in the way it began. Just with that thump, just with that, that bass, which started off very, very muffled. And it also it, it started to just, everything else melted away around it it just boiled down to just that thump it's like a well not even really a heartbeat because it's just a single thing it's alone and by itself and then the bass gradually starts to build the music back up again until finally it does burst out much more pronounced this time with the full-on funk section the full-on disco section i think this is where you were starting to get the uh the gene roddenberry feel but this is um i don't know it, it just felt like a throwback to 
to Fungor to Disco with me. Again, quarterly, I wish this went more places than it did, but again, it's still very enjoyable. Even the lead singer kind of sounded like Pharrell Williams to me, which is never bad. <laughs> At its core, it was another dance song, and uh, you know what? I have to say, at this point, we're getting our third dance song from this, this band and this album. I like the way they do dance songs. Unfortunately, a lot of the dance songs we've covered in the past do have a very repetitive nature. Here, even if at its core it could feel a little repetitive or predictable, it's still way more enjoyable and engaging than a lot of the other pop dance music we've covered on the show. This is the first time I'm actually disappointed on the album, and that's because it's not doing something completely different or completely familiar in a very different way or anything like that. This is just a quality track, I guess. This is just really, really good at what it's doing. But it's not doing something out of left field, like yeah. making it a minute and a half long so its summation is great, or throwing in dark undertones or screwing up in the actual playback. It's it's not doing that. It was more full of elements that I liked than the than the track as a whole. And, and don't get me wrong, I really loved my funk and my disco, but again, it really didn't like evolve. It had interesting perks about it. Like later on, the the strings came in and they felt very cinematic. This beautiful effect, like a, a slide two of a brado. Absolutely loved that. And it made it feel uh, very grand, especially for a track that, well, it is called Go. And really the hook is, please don't go. Don't go. Don't go. Don't go. But it's not actually about that. Those are the, the female uh, characters pleading for these male characters not to leave them. And it's they, they go into the reasoning as to as to why they can't stay together. Like, in verse 1, it ends with, I'm going to come back just to show you the air that you will never breathe without me. But the way it's presented, it's, it's like the relationship in this case is a little bit too suffocating. While in the second verse, uh, you remind me of one of those girls, or should I say one of those hoes where you could be a playmate girl, centerfold. In the mirror, working on your magazine cover post. It sort of sets up as like he's in a plastic relationship, a fake relationship. It's 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 about you know sort of distancing yourself from the bad relationships in life. I mean, it does also. This is the first time on the whole record we get the title track. There's no title track, but we get the title in this track. In the outro, they just repeat "Surfs up, surfs up," which comes up in the verses. Um, and uh, it's this idea of kind of cruising away from what the problem was, yeah, trying getting to away. escape. Um, you know, all in all, the song does have a fun party vibe. I think it comes across as kind of a little superficial on the surface. Um, but that said, I mean, they're also, you know, trying to escape something that feels kind of very fake or insincere. So the vibe kind of still matches it, this idea of wanting to go. Also, fake concepts like, you know, I'm a, like you said, I'm going to come back just to show you the air that you never will breathe without me. The idea that, well, come on, you put place yourself in such high importance. Yeah. You know, it, it's also like a fake concept in the end. The whole, the whole thing is built around, well... It's called go, and then please don't go, don't go, don't go. But really, I think someone should go. This yeah. is not healthy. Yeah, it's just, it sounds like a poisonous relationship, regardless of what perspective you're looking at it. All right. Check 12. Questions. And if you wanted questions earlier, this starts with why. Why? So why, 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 why? So, so this is featuring Jamelia Woods. The why here is... <laughs> Beautifully done because it becomes less the question and more an exploration of just pitch in the voice. And I love how it just keeps bouncing up, down, and around. She almost sounds like she's whining. 
it's just it. How <laughs> the delay? It, anyway, it, it very much is where her vocals here in the chorus, when she's singing, becomes very much like an instrument, almost just playing along with this kind of uh, beautifully Daft esque kind of sound. Yeah, if Daft Punk it's, it's was doing an R and B, they would be doing something like this. It's so high pitched and so close to the ear. I mean. I, I I absolutely adore this opening section, especially since I was kind of eh, I had a little bit of a slow middle section to this album, but this kind of brought me back, and it, it made me wonder really whether this album was actually getting more consonant or getting more abstract. I I couldn't tell at this at this point because this was uh, clearly abstract, following some you know fairly predictable ventures. This song, of course, is also on the shorter side uh, at one fifty five. So, in line with some of the shorter tracks that we've looked at before, but what I like about it is that it's kind of, it is a little more abstract, but it also kind of doesn't overstay its welcome and just kind of gives you this beautiful moment and then kind of does what it needs to do and take off. Um, What's interesting also is that as the song goes on, you kind of get that tech funk again we'd heard before. It's another case of like sound art, specifically Mm -hmm. in reference to small bits of musical material, like... The, the question, why? Well, the whys are all broken into these little melodic cells. Just like earlier, there were other things that were broken into little rhythmic cells. So it, I, I appreciate this stuff in the end. Um, and over that, we get kind of like a staggered beatbox here. And then finally, we come back to the whys. That's that's the, the main chorus. Um, we even introduce little things in the background, like an acoustic guitar. And then finally, just a little a little, a little short coda, also including the, the whys. Just, just to yeah. sort of ask one more time. And then, you know, close we, at the track. We get some spacing here again. Before we get the outro, there's that <clears throat> spacing of silence that they've been using quite a bit on this record. But, you know, it's added kind of a really strong impact in the songs that it's featured. It's never like, oh, here's that silence again. It's usually either it makes you think the song's over and then they come back with something a little different, or it, it just adds a punctuation. To, yeah, it's it, they're never dropping the bass uh, yeah. kind of a moment that's going on here. It's, it's done to put importance on what is just finished and what will be said next. Yeah, it adds an interesting dichotomy to the int- entire track. And it's all just individual statements. Rain so hot in the neighborhood. My love don't call when she said she would. Friends who come don't stay for good. No, no, no. Why? Pigs want take black mama's kids. Bible say we all from the same rib. But some of us go to heaven too soon. Why some of us get to go to heaven too soon? Uh, pretty weighted questions of life, I would say. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, you know, this, these big questions of why. You know, this idea that when you hit a certain age as a little kid, you ask why for everything. And this idea that, you you know, you want to know answers. It even gets a little topical politically. Yeah. And it's that's something that here or there you really you just can't deny the beauty that's involved with the way this this is being set up with the way the vocals are being set up with this i really loved this track i thought it was very interesting and i thought it was perfectly timed and perfectly spaced track 13 something came to me i loved this track and of course this is a, a response i think to the earlier tracks nothing, nothing came, came to, to me. me and this is another instrumental this is also not featuring anybody there are no vocalists and it seems like in most cases the featured uh, artists had been vocalists, um, not in every case, but in most. And so this one is another instrumental, like like Steve had said, that pairs to the earlier track. But what I, I like from the get-go is that this saunters in a more kind of together fashion. It doesn't feel as abstract, at least initially, it's, as the previous track. It's but, not as noir. Yeah, for uh, sure. And, and 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 John had pointed out. He also pointed out the fact that this um that this was a pair with the earlier track, which I didn't notice initially. But it should be yeah. painfully obvious after all, considering, of course, the 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 brass focus and 
and and the big band composition but yeah, that's, that, that's where it differs because i guess the, the earlier track was far more noir than this this is really more it seems to borrow from big band composition you still have the horns here it's four part harmonies and it's just beautiful i was enamored with this it, it it retains the brightness of the previous track of of what it's responding to. It almost expands upon that, and it even has almost like a double recorded effect going on, where a lot of phrases seem to be immediately re- repeated. Well, that was later. That was in the B section. As as it goes through that B, where it really becomes almost like culmination of what nothing came to me sort of started, sort of instigated in its beginning. I, I almost felt like that B section was like all the horns, which were crystal clear throughout the A, throughout the first half of the track. Now in the B, they're like stifled, or, or yes, maybe doubled. Um, it's like the gain or, or the distortion had been turned up, uh, and I had never really heard that effect before on brass, which is what made it so so unique. But even this doesn't even begin to approach like what I loved about this track. Uh, First, just one thing, which is actually kind of minor. There was a tap in the background, a very light tap that did not exist on the earlier track, Nothing Came to Me, and it almost is like a tap that exists separate and apart from the brass. It's like the conductor. It, it's it, it's metronomical, but it, yet at the same time, it's not... It's It has a fluidity. It seems to have its own its own concept to it. It seems to have its own, its own motive, well, whereas ha- the brass seems to have its own motive, and you hear them separately, but it, it, it keeps you so in tune with what the brass is doing with what how how they're structuring this entire track narratively and that was my favorite part and how we even even as we continue into the b section every single phrase every single uh phrase in every single vertical element of the of this this uh brass composition feels as if it's just painting its own story i i it this said the most to me i I think maybe on the whole entire album i mean if anyone's been listening to us for a while, that's a pattern that you tend to follow frequently, Steve. If you find an instrumental track that you really identify with, you pull more out of that track than you do many other tracks in the album because it kind of pulls you in. And I because totally get it with this fundamentally, track. Fundamentally, it's more clever to me. And the idea that like a lot of earlier tracks, especially if you're coming down to vocals, well, vocals, it's more common to structure them in terms of verse and chorus, verse and chorus, because that's just what we know. And it gives you something to go back to. But with just raw music you can you can you can stretch that to the very very bare edge where just maybe one little motif you'll find in common from earlier but you can reshape it in so many different ways which i think is is just people are less inclined to do that with vocals and and certainly on on this album uh this seems to be the most cutting edge i mean i do want to say though on this album they do try and avoid verse chorus verse chorus sometimes they'll do multiple verses sometimes they'll only have the chorus once or they'll feature in different places so at least they're changing up that structure a little bit but i would argue the music is what's making this album uh fresh it's not necessarily the vocals the vocals are are in their they're in their groove they have their sections well i mean the raps are showcasing the skill of said rapper but they're not doing anything super unique it's the music that elevates the uniqueness of that rap yeah, and I'm not taking anything away from the vocalist right, at all. Of course. I, I think it, at the end, it, it's because of the fact that I felt the the hope and even the pain within a lot of these a lot of these melodies, a lot of these melodic cells that you find within within these 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 brass flourishes, and all that is is just a, a much broader, but at the same time more emotionally intense encapsulation of everything that we got earlier everything that we were told about the stories of all these characters and what they hope for and what they're afraid of and all of a sudden you feel it here it's the first time i had really felt it personally actually felt it 
I feel like also maybe it's kind of summarizing a lot of what we've had so far and kind of pulling it together. I think this track helps unify the album. I don't think it, um, you know, I don't feel it's more emotional. I feel like it helps engage in the emotion that had been kind of scattered throughout the record. You want a fun one? At the very, very end of this track, there actually is, yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's all it's yeah, said at the very, very yeah. end, as if to say, as if to just sort of summarize this entire track because you you really can't yeah unless you tried in the way that i just did but really just say yes that is how i feel <laughs> that <laughs> from here we go to track 14 rememory um and this is featuring erica badu and it's the return of andy suleiman as well and uh rememory is not a real word we looked it up yeah it's on urban dictionary which means it's definitely not a real word um <laughs> but it's the idea of me- remembering a memory and so a rememory which is clever in its own way um we start with some very jazzy instrumentation and echoey vocals we kind of it's bright yeah, it starts off going... very bright but it there's a subtlety behind it as it's going through these movements uh, using these tones again the horns are doing a lot to lead the way of what this track is doing but there's uh, a bass in the background and short little snippets being thrown throughout this track that do a lot to to, to really promote the idea of subtlety that does a lot to promote what the rapping's doing Absolutely. I, I I was mostly on board with this track, but it had kind of drifted a little bit back to me into the, the position that I was in toward the middle of the album. The idea that, well, it's an R&B soul thing. Seems to be a, a little nod to the 90s. It was very smooth. It was very enjoyable. I do, once again, really, really love that keyboard sound in the background. Uh, it, it just it, it didn't introduce anything new to me. But then again, to be fair, I felt very similarly right after the earlier track, uh, Nothing Came to Me, which was full of brass, and I raved about that. And it's just that uh, you couldn't bring me back from that, from that state of ecstasy. But in this case, for me, I got some really solid ramping from Chance. Yeah. Oh, take a break when I break my leg. Save the day when I take her hand. And she break my heart. And she take an arm and leg and a car and the kids. And the court's taking course on me. And of course I'm remorseful, but more so for the kids forced to use Morse code. Poor souls ain't got no voices. Take a disco nap when disco's dead. And the word goes live and I fix those heads. And the discos flop but the track don't skip. And the words don't jumble and the milk don't curdle. And the cookie don't crumble and the one-eyed man screams, Marco, this no joke, this code red. Too late. The blind townspeople finally found people. Kingdom come, freedom reign. See what I'm saying? Took his name. Who got that hook up on that Peter Pan? The book is broke. He shook his hand. He's he's solidly spitting this stuff out. That's this great. is this it's, is it's, really it's enjoyable. Great. It's great stuff. And, and content wise, I mean, this is very clearly about a divorce and about what, the burden it puts on the children, on on your finances, on your life in general. And it's 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 very interesting way it's phrased, but it's it's clearly about that, and it feels very personal in this moment. I especially like that second verse. Young man, lay lay your head down. Tell me of your day. Rememory, you'll say. Chancellor, baby, you're uneasy, I can tell. But in your way, you're on your way. Rememory, you're safe. And this that's sang by Erica Badu. And yeah, it's this song is very much dealing with the pain that goes along with this kind of huge life moment that can make or break you. And what's even more interesting is that there's kind of... Before Erica Badu sings her verse, there's this kind of static 
that that comes in that spaces the track and you've also throughout the track got this kind of wailing trumpet it adds this dissonance to the whole track kind of giving also instrumentally an emotional backing to what's being sang or rapped here yeah and that brings us to track 15 sent sunday candy which is also featuring jamelia woods for the second time and uh, here we're kind of back to the theater piano a little bit. So yeah, we get some uh, bright piano to intro the track. This song, instrumentally, and I'm sure Steve will go into it a little more in detail, but emotionally is kind of dripping with positivity and happiness. It's, Overwhelmingly so. It has a lot of old-timey piano ideas associated with what's going on right here. It's very upbeat. It's very much the higher le- The higher scale. registers is kind of like repeating those piano chords. You know, dun, 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 dun. Okay, you're ready for the show. People are going to break out the... Uh, the scenery and all that. I don't know. Even, it, it, even during the hook, it goes into like a full choir piece, like religious experience style. Yeah, it gets really, really fast. This track, honestly, is more like a shebang here, and it really does feel, once again, like it belongs kind of in a play. Uh, that's my only gripe with it, is that at this point, well, okay, we've had two tracks like this, or that at least begin like this, and I feel like it's a strange sh- move for the album. It doesn't feel like, like it really belongs with the, the music they've created. Well, but I mean, lyrically, the content of this track kind of takes solace in religion a bit. And so turning, well, turning you know, struggle and hardship into positivity through religion is a common theme in, in both just religion in general and in music. And so it's, it's about his grandma. That's what it's all about. It's initially, about at least. She could say in her voice, in her way that she loved me with her eyes, with her smile, with her belt, with her hands, with her money. I am the thesis of her prayers. Her nieces and her nephews are just pieces of the layers. Only ones she loved as much as me is Jesus Christ and Taylor. I got a future, so I'm singing for my grandma. You singing too, but your grandma ain't my grandma. Mine's is handmade, pan-fried, sun-dried, south side, and beat the devil by a landslide. Praying with her hands tied, president of my fan club, saying to her something told me I should bring my butt to church. <laughs> and I love that. It's- I love that. It's very sweet, and it you know it it does emulate this kind of religious tone. And I mean, he mentions Jesus, he mentions church. You know, it's it's the idea of how church and the love of his grandma and all of that life kind of culminates together. I've been praying for you. You're my Sunday candy. Yeah, I I, I just love it's it's all about the wholesomeness. It even goes into after that first hook, it goes into that uh, hip hop scat idea that they had earlier of the back and forth kind of synth scat and that second verse that comes in is is more experimental but it's keeping that same nature that they had earlier it's 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 all just just emotionally charged just a happy charged song like i said it's a shebang yeah i mean even the bridge references zion the second verse references gospel choirs and christmas like this is not accidental that so much religious overtone was worked into this it's important in this song, and I'm guessing to Chance as well. Absolutely. It actually reminded me of, of what I was talking about much earlier with the whole concept of, of, of uh, Handel's Messiah and the idea that really when Handel wrote uh, the Messiah, he, come to think of it, was probably, he, considering he actually like uh, premiered it inside like a more of a secular place, like a, uh, a concert hall in, in Dublin, Ireland, 
he actually had this like idea that he was going to make people better as a result and sort of you know bring them religion a little bit in like small doses and then maybe they would be like yeah yeah maybe that's uh maybe i should feel this way because you know there's a lot to be depressed about certainly in 1742 ireland so they turned to religion which is why ireland is known as such a really really super religious country today but still it seems like this is the kind of the concept here that well if there is at least one thing i can go back to it is religion um at this point on the album, considering he's already laid so much on the line in the way of, like, the things that are getting him down, the things that get just about any of these multitude of characters down, it seems like that's uh, a, a, a natural place, at least, for this to end, because there was probably a religious tradition in their lifestyles. Uh, I don't know. It, it's, it's a curious turn, but it's uh, a natural one, I think. It seems like one of those... those core touchstones a child gets growing up and he's really trying to explain it through his music and it's everything's just working for it because I just feel that wholesome happiness you get when you think nostalgically about a, a mother a grandmother the person who raised and reared you like that 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 one cornerstone of your life really comes through right here yeah also rain I'm... down Zion it's gonna rain you better come on, on this house because it's gonna rain rain down Zion I feel like also this track, I mean, when paired with the next track, track 16, the final track kind of wraps up the album with some positivity and some hope, which I think this album really needed because it did go to some really dark places. Yeah, ironically, it went to some pretty dark places because, again, I had I had thought, I had felt from the musical, uh, the musical touch overall without looking into the lyrics quite yet, that there was really a lot more positivity on this album with the exception of the instrumentals that I noted I felt it pretty sharply. So the final track on this album, track 16, is called Pass the Vibes, and this features Eric Butler, who is the vocalist on the uh, hook, which is the only vocals on this track. Um, I got a very kind of earth, wind, and fire vibe. You know, it felt kind of old school funk or old school kind of um, disco even. Uh, you know, it had a very sweet vibe, a happy ditty. It felt like the focus of the song was reverberation, and I like that. It was just forcing the, the, the actual vibration going through you. I, I liked touching on this track, but it didn't hit me too deeply. Well, the rhythm was interesting, but it, only because it reminded me of something I really, really liked. Uh, it reminded me of, of Tom Waits, um, a lot of the rhythm that he would use, specifically, though, in the track, uh, track two of his 85 album, I think, Rain Dogs, which was called, the track was called Clap Hands, which was full of this, like, strange, warped, noirish, uh, uh, rhythmic backdrop over which he uh, inserted his overall creepy, smoke-addled voice, and it became even more creepy. But uh, I'm not going to say that this last track really felt creepy, but obviously if you just think about vibes, you're trying to impart something soothing, uh, soft, and overwhelmingly positive. Impart something, again. Well, let's look at the words. She had some vibes for me. I had no vibes for her. No vibes. She pressed them onto me. I had some vibes for her. I got the vibes now. I passed me the vibes. I want to play the vibraphone. Maybe <laughs> hey, we got vibraphone earlier. It's, it's, she liked me. I didn't like her. She made me like her uh, in, in such a way. It's sort of the transferring of positivity. 
I, I think it's more that than yeah. than the matter of like really who likes who. Yeah. Uh, I think it's really more about the the impact well, that you leave on people. Again. Had some vibes for me feel like it's some sort of feeling directed towards a person, which is why I like that, that. That's where I was going with that. I mean, but it could also just be a friend trying to lift you out of your kind of dark place. By I like giving that you good vibes. I like that a lot better. That's a heck of a lot. You better. You know, like a smile is contagious. You know, that kind of a thing. But also about the complexity of it, that, like, a lot of times people need vibes, you know? They feel like they need vibes from other people, and mm -hmm. they feel like that's that's why your, your your friendship or your relationship isn't working. But a lot of times people just don't have good vibes to give. Sometimes you're not in the right frame of mind necessarily to give it, and you, you need more of it in return. It's never going to be this, like, completely mutual situation where, like... Yes, we are giving each other equal numbers, equal, you know, positive values of good vibes. It's not something you can really measure. If you just take it day by day, it's going to wax and wane. And I think really that's the that's the point of, of maybe even this album as a whole, if it all, all boils down to positivity and negativity. It, it also kind of, like, it doesn't sound the same, but it did bring me back to the Beach Boys, good vibra vibrations. Like, yeah, it, yeah. Feel, it feels like... Even though it's so different sound-wise, it's filling the same role. In other words, are you trying to say you you ended up bringing us surf rock after all? In a very, very esoteric way. Maybe I did. Well, maybe that was their idea, calling it surf and whatnot. <laughs> Who knows? Well, all said and done, I, I feel like this album lives up to its name in so many different ways. This is an album you just gotta flow with. And since I brought the album, though, I'm not going to be going first. No, you won't. No. I will go first. Mm. This really is a bit of a tricky one because I'm kind of torn between a lot of individual things that I was uh, either thrown by or wildly impressed by or that I was only mm, okay with. It's really, really hard because let's, let's, let's just start with the theme. Uh, I pretty much just said it. Positivity and negativity, I think is what you could boil this album down to. I don't... Obviously, if you look into the lyrics, there are more complexities than that. And I think in many ways, this, this album is focusing on the fact that, yes, there's more complexities to life than simply feeling happy and feeling sad. There are reasons behind these things. There are reasons that led people to do the things that they do, however however dark or horrible that they may, may be. That, that's, just, that's just how we end up who we are. I think that's a... That's a good message. That in itself is a positive and uplifting message and a good vibe to send off to their audience um, and their fans, especially for a debut album. Uh, in fact, frankly, I'm kind of impressed that there even was a, a solid theme here. Of course, we yes, we have probably Donnie Trumpet as the mastermind, but with so many people, you would think, you know, it would just be a mishmash of, like, let's, let's see how much music I can create and see how good it's going to be, because look at the talents I have. Well, they were just used. They were session musicians, and that's something I, I respect. It's something that's common in classical. Uh, not to say that they were, you know, beside the point. They were used, man. They were... They were secondary, but really, I, I don't really think about it. As much as I want to, to treat all of these tracks and say, ah, yes, that, uh, she was spectacular, he was spectacular here, and divide it up, I, I, felt, I felt this album was at least cohesive in terms of its sound. It really didn't phase me, the fact that there were probably 30-plus people in the end. That, that, that's, a, that's besides the point. So how do I feel about it? As a, as a fan of pretty much... Music that pushes new directions. There were certain things on this album that I really, really respected, and it began with track one, which is why I talked about it at such length. I thought Miracle was 
a miracle for music. I thought that I, it's something I've been needing. It had a very, very unique structure to it. I loved the fact that it actually took a flying lotus touch, a flying lotus style of, of bits and pieces of phrase work, and it kind of organized it a little bit in ways that maybe we weren't quite as impressed with, certainly in maybe Flying Lotus's first album. But uh, this is, uh, it's, it's improper to really directly compare the two. Miracle was just a, a, a new type of hip-hop jazz to me that I really just haven't quite found yet. I want more of that. But on the second front, there is also the brass stuff, which is something I never expected to get on an album like this. I never expected that that type of instrumentation would really make its its uh, its foray into the world of hip-hop, which I do think is the general genre of this album, after all. Uh, I, I have been looking for unique forms of brass work. I talked about them at length, why I love brass and the capabilities of it, especially back on the Beirut album, and I was sorely denied it on that album because I had come to expect that from Beirut in the past. Well, I'm glad that in our last album of the year, before our year in review, I, I, I got the brass that I that I feel I deserved, you know, because I think that was really what music was about. You're welcome. <laughs> That's right. You no, know, music should say, you're welcome. It's just, it's so tough. I, I, I think that there's no way I can rate this below a four. Um, and I will actually give it the benefit of the doubt and bump it up just one little point. I don't think this is game-changing, because that's where I kind of left uh, a lot of uh, meat out as far as this this album is concerned. I, I, it comes down to Miracle, those two brass tracks, Nothing Came to Me and Something Came to Me, and then within that there's a lot of good, but it's piecemeal, and then what's left are a few tracks of, yeah, okay, it's 90s R&B, I'm familiar. And that is really the, the, that's what this album is to me which is a little bit too piecemeal for me to bring this up into the higher echelon. So I, I'm rating it a 4.1 just because this is a good album with a lot of a lot of positives, a lot of things that maybe could change music in the coming in the coming years. It may be a new sound for hip-hop. It's something that I heard back with uh, Black Messiah by D'Angelo and the Vanguard, which we referenced several times. I just wish that there was a little bit more narrative cohesion in the music on the album. Uh, it certainly was there in the theme. Okay, for me, um, something that I think is important to keep in mind is this is their first album ever as this group, um, which is an important thing to keep in mind when, when looking at this record. That said, I think that uh, in, enjoyment-wise, this is definitely one of my favorite records of the year. You know, one of the best records of the year means something else, and we'll get into that in a few weeks, but Definitely one of my favorites, hands down. And I'm finding, interestingly enough, even though I tend to lean in my music taste these days more towards hip-hop, some of my favorites this year have also been related to hip-hop. I mean, we did get God Sticks this year, which was also one of my favorites, so it's not exclusively hip-hop. But this record is just kind of a cacophony of many different things that really painted an interesting picture to me. Um, I'm definitely hooked. I'm definitely a fan for life of this band and will follow their their goings-on from here to wherever it goes. And I do hope that this is not just a one-time project thing. I really do hope that there is a pursuit with this. Um, I could break it down song by song, but we already spent over an hour and a half doing that. So instead, I'm just going to kind of summarize it by saying it invoked emotions. I enjoyed it. I had a good time with it. Um, by no means is it changing the face of hip-hop on the whole. In fact, I already gave a five to the band that I felt is doing that, and that is, of course, Black Violin and their album Stereotype. So there's no way that this is going to be at that point because on an emotional level, as well as a technical level, Stereotype took me there. 
this album just didn't get there. I very much agree with Steve, though I'm willing to give it a little more of a benefit of the doubt because, again, if this is the first time these, you know, five folks plus the 20 other people who were featured did something like this. And so I'm willing to be a little more lenient. And also, again, I got a lot more emotional connection from the lyrics that Steve felt was kind of lacking, which is fair. You were looking forward to the music and it wasn't there, and I totally get that. So for me, this is a 4.4. It's not a 4.5 because it's not, like I said, 4.5 is approaching the upper echelon. That's reserved for other bands that have really kind of gone that extra mile. But these guys had definitely had the capacity to do it, which is why I'm only keeping them a little bit below it. So that's where I land with this. It's by far one of my favorite records of the year, and I am totally hooked and will be continuing to listen to it. For me, one of the words that we brought up a few times was curiosity. This was a cerebral experience for me. I enjoyed just thinking about this music as I was listening to it and thinking about it afterwards. It was a, a bit of a challenge to do the review. One of the things that we've discussed and uh, off-air is that sometimes the best music we listen to is the hardest to explain because, well, how do you explain it? You can't, you can't in words really get apart the, the, the evocative feels of a song when you have to go into the, a lot of the actual technicality of the song to try to get it across. It, it's hard to go back and forth on that. This was an album that, for me, I felt like I really could emote those different cerebral ideas. I really felt like I could get them across. For that, it was it was great on my brain, but I didn't connect so strongly with the emotions of this album. That's where it, it kind of was lacking. That's where an, an album, another hip-hop album like The Heist or like Blurry Face, really did seem to speak to me on a more personal level. Here, I really want to think about the music and explore certain things, like the really intricate and, and playful rhythms that come out of it, rhythms that are devoid of a melody, or the, the, the really interesting ideas of going from one and then completely stopping it, going to another, be, doing a rebuild with brass, doing breakdowns with piano work that really I haven't heard before but I want that I, I'm gonna need that final step to put it into that that four and a half and higher area where I start com connecting to the songs where I start feeling the sadness and the happiness and all those emotions that are getting across so I'm, I'm in the same sort of area this is this is a 4.3 it's it's just it's it's not quite there, but it's definitely a, an incredible freshman album for this uh, conglomerate. I don't know how else <laughs> to place it, uh, and it's an amazing piece. Considering the number of artists that worked on this, I'm astounded that they could actually do something even halfway as cohesive as this. And it was amazing that that so many levels of input were put into this, and it. It just came together so beautifully. All right. Well, thanks. <laughs> and you're welcome. And this week, uh, before we get into what's happening in the next few weeks and before we uh, start talking about the future, I want to talk about 
uh, just a little bit of what happened this year. And one of the things that that, that kind of struck me with this album and with a lot of albums we've we've seen, and that is it's it looks like music is making some shifts. Just from growing up in my childhood to to what's being produced now, one thing I noticed, and it's very evident with this album, and actually with uh, and coincidentally a lot of the rapid hip hop albums we've reviewed, that the content is undergoing a major shift. Whether it's the mainstream or not, when you have albums like Blurry Faced or The Heist or this one, Surf, this isn't the, the, the quote-unquote normal hip-hop and rap. This is talking about themes where they're directly refuting a lot of uh, early 2000s, late 90s, and even earlier stuff where it was all about being the, quote, gangster life and, and a lot of the tropes that pervade rap. And it's beautiful to see that, well, we can say things like, oh, this is a normal thing that they tackle, talking about how bad it is to objectify women or how bad it is to talk about material. That being the normal thing is is excellent. Yeah, this is, uh, well, especially since you brought up hip-hop, I do think that there uh, was some some confusion and maybe even some debate as to the direction that hip-hop was heading. Because after all, if it was a, a popular genre, which it was, it was almost inevitable that it was going to spread to communities where obviously, you know, they didn't have the same street cred, quote-unquote, or the same uh, uh, gangster cred background of, of uh, family strife. It just... You know, can you use the medium for other things? And for a while, there was a lot of rejection, I think, that the idea that they were using a, a, a medium that was almost built around the idea of coming from the hard life. Uh, and they were using it for, well, you know, casual things. Uh, you know, I woke up and uh, I was kind of on the wrong side of the bed. <laughs> Didn't really feel that good. Like, okay, obviously, that's uh, a little trite for hip-hop. But problems, there are no shortage of problems to the human condition it it will extend into many many areas and it's why i think it was pretty interesting that blurry face tackled that the idea of well these are my problems as an artist and the idea my insecurities things i want to create this is problems that can eat away at you eat away at your soul obviously that is is food for art food for for the hip-hop community and i think it's kind of put that question to bed finally because uh, it was it was much discussed for some time, so I think that's something we can certainly look forward to in the future. I think that the, the kind of moves that music is making on a whole, in the vein of that, is that you know artists are being given the freedom through access and availability to kind of say whatever they want. You know, the freedoms to discuss whether it's something very personal or where it's something it's not very personal or something very comical or silly or straightforward or shrouded in mystery you know you have a lot more access to different kinds of art so it will affect the kind of art you're making and i think that's also what's kind of spearheading this kind of change to the overall landscape from hip-hop and beyond it's almost like the growing pains of the turn of the millennia when it, it's when music became pervasive because there were so many different ways to now get it so everybody was making the things that were popular on the radio. Well, that that whole point, well, it, it seems to be receding. It seems to be, well, now individuality is becoming a more stressed component in music. We, this year alone, we found a lot of very unusual ideas. We found a, a couple of resurgences of classic rock. 
in a whole new light. We found uh, techno coming out in whole new waves and people who hadn't made music in a decade coming back and trying something different. Hmm. Or trying something that was new back a decade ago but now sounds completely different. It seems like old ideas are being revisited but they're being infused with a lot of the new ideas uh, I think the three of us kind of want to see. Uh, yes and no. I, I still do have one one gripe with, I think, the idea that the whole reference culture, and this has come up a lot within our, our discussions, and maybe we'll get more into more of this in the, in the proper year in review, but I, I will say that, that references, drawing from the past, to start with, is inevitable. Of course, people are going to draw from the past. It's just how we form opinions, our, what we read, what we, what we enjoy, the art that we that we like, the, the people we admire, uh, certain aesthetics just stick with us. They become a part of us. But I, I do think we've created a culture, and, and this is where I want to really tread lightly on these words. I think we've created a culture where we, we have inspired the youth to say, well, everyone can be an artist. Everyone, to some stretch. If you have an idea, then you are encouraged to, to go out and, and pursue it. Overwhelmingly, that is a positive thing. But I do think there are there are some people who who take this so closely to heart that they find that well, art maybe may just be a case of reworking the past. And there are infinite number of ways you you can break down music into a mathematical structure. That's that's just it's just the facts. That's what we criticize a lot. And it's not it does not this comes up all the time. Certainly in the artists that we reviewed, I think very. Uh, exclusively we're looking at very very honest and and self-honest people um but i do think it's very possible within this culture and i do think it happens that people who want to create art just because they want to create art will find themselves sometimes caught in a bit of a loop of constantly reworking old material and it will it will enable them to lack a a self-identity but because we have such a promotional culture and we talked about this uh in i think episode 171 concerning hype uh, that can be a little bit of a problem. You're just going to become popular no matter what anyway, regardless of whether there is content there. I don't really have a follow-up comment, so I'm just going to change the subject. Yeah, I'm sorry, leave we started, that we started out so, so, so positively, and then I ended up on a cynicism. I, well, I, I will end us on a positive, because there's another thing I want to talk about that this album made me realize, today's album, that's also positive for the future of music. This album... Currently still, I, I am downloading it as we speak on my iPhone, is free on the iTunes store. Completely free. They yeah. still are not charging for it. Weird midnight drop. They got, I think, half a million hits on like the first day. And so I've downloaded it on my phone. I'm going to download it on my computer so I can put it on my iPod proper as well. Yes, I have a regular iPod. Don't judge. Um, you can fit a lot more music on that. Anyway... I think that's also the inevitable future of, of music. I think that the days of charging for, for music is either going to get much cheaper or even non-existent. I really think we're headed in a direction where the, the money will come from the performances, from the experiences, the merch, you know. The subscriptions. The subscriptions. The idea of maybe artists will, will yeah. all have like a $1 a month subscription. I mean, we see it with Patreon now where you can subscribe to an artist and they'll release a song every week or two weeks and you, you, you depending on what you pay, you get access to certain materials. It's just I really think we're going to get a more direct access connection to artists as we In progress. In fact, uh, one of my favorites, Flowbots, are doing a Kickstarter right now. Mm-hmm. So hopefully that'll be out real soon. If you say performances, though, that means that, well, 
as concerts have been, they will continue to be getting more expensive. That's also true. Um, which, well, would be a natural trade-off, I think. I if think If you're so going to be giving out your music for free and your studio work, then, well, to see an artist live would be a very special event. I mean, think about Save it. Save up. <laughs> if you didn't have to buy, say you got into uh, a band and they had three albums out, you didn't have to buy any of them. But next time they come around on concert, it costs 50 bucks or even 75 bucks. You might be more inclined to pay a little more for a concert ticket if you didn't have to pay for the work. Though I do sure. not like paying $50 for a t-shirt. Well, That's yes. something I'm never going to enjoy. Fair <laughs> point. Um, Especially because you can't even try it on then. So it's like you don't know until you get home. Am I a medium? Just... Am I a large? Is it going to shrink? Exactly. That's important. Thank you, John. I loved making a point and then you... Changing the subject. Well, that's why no, you gave I, me that. No, I'm, I'm with him on this. John is presenting no, hard issues. I, I, I don't know what you're doing over I here. I do have I your blank shirt that you that, that I gave you a you long know. time ago. Yeah, because it shrunk on you. It did shrink on me. Um, Perfect example. <laughs> anyway, um, so some food for thought as we end this week. Um, we're going to start wrapping up. Keep in mind and keep an ear out for next week. We have a special surprise, which if you've not been under a rock for the last few years, you know what's coming. And it's then not a surprise. Course, it is a surprise for me and Matt. We don't know what the content is actually going to be. Um, and then, of course, the week after will be our year in review, so we won't actually be here next week. You will get your special present for Christmas slash Hanukkah, and belatedly. I'll, a, I'll actually get to have a week of just working my butt off. And then we come back the following week to wrap up the year as we always do with the highs, lows, and everything in between. Before uh, we close out, Steve, please read our reply. So we reviewed... Um, Static by Huntress. Correct, which was recommended by Jessica Vota, and uh, she commented on our review. Yes, it was actually the same episode in which we discussed height, so yeah, a little crossovers here. Uh, Jessica Vota had these thanks to say. Hi guys, thanks so much for taking my suggestion. I was thoroughly impressed with the level of research and enthusiasm you put into this review, and I really enjoyed listening to it. While Huntress is one of my favorite bands, I realize that for some they are a band that can be difficult to get into at first, so I really appreciate you making the time and effort. I first became exposed to Huntress live as an opening act for Danzig. I remember being very skeptical and even rolling my eyes during their first song on stage as I thought how silly and over the top they were, but I quickly became drawn in by Jill's amazing and unique vocals. I quickly became a fan, purchasing their first album Spell Eater and soon after that their second album Starbound Beast. You had asked during your review if I had a favorite album of all three. The answer is, I don't know. I find all three albums to be remarkable in different ways, but what's amazing to me is that despite the strong differences in each album, the core sound and musicality has remained consistently amazing. I do tend to wear rose-colored glasses when it comes to Huntress, so I was very glad to hear what you all had to say. Keep up the great work, and thanks again, Jessica Botol. Well, Jessica, thank you for the recommendation, of course, and I'm glad that you got something out of it. I mean, ultimately, this is the kind of thing that we're looking to connect. If, if you suggest something and we don't love it, I'm hoping we at least give you a perspective that you can understand or see. I mean, she admitted herself that she has rose-colored glasses, which we've all had for certain bands. Sure. And so I think that it's nice when, when a fan of something engages in that, especially when they're recommending it to someone else to see not with those glasses. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Quite. We experience this. Indeed. Um, so thank you for listening of course as always thank you for ringing in another year with us we will see you in two weeks for our year in review but until then and as always music is life and, and life, life is, is good, good. 
If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.